We have dead air. We got to put a best of on Drew. We're going to lose every upbeat station we have. End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Oh yeah, live and direct, and in the flesh. We do have a full house here tonight. I had all sorts of things to say, but since we are running out of time, my first guest this evening is Joshua Free. As many of you know him quite well, he's been on the program before. I'm very pleased to have him on here yet again. Let's bring him on right now. Joshua, are you still alive out there? I, I am, sir. Fantastic. I'm so glad you're here, my friend. Indeed, indeed. I am here. I've got I've got lightning touching ground probably within miles in every direction of me, but I am here and alive. So Wow. <laughs> yes, we, we had a bit of a mix up for those out there just tuning in. And that's okay. That happens every now and then, especially when you're trying to do a show live. You never know what's gonna happen and you just have to push forward. And it makes it more exciting. Hell yeah. I like that. You, you never know what's going to happen here, especially live. And that's the best part, uh, especially when things go wrong. <laughs> well, Love I that. think there was someone that once said something about finding 99 ways not to make a, successfully not to make a light bulb. So, you know, eventually you just hit that one. Exactly. So, Joshua, I've always said that you are someone who has just been outside the box for the longest time now. And I've talked to you for such, for such a long time, even before I even did the show. Correct. Yes, it's been, yeah, probably almost close to a decade now. Isn't that weird? <laughs> time has been going by much faster. Uh, it seems to go by faster all the time. Yeah, that's, and this year, it's, it's gone by so quick. It, it has. My goodness. So, Joshua, please tell the new time uh, listeners out there, the first timers out there, let them know who you are and what you represent. Uh, well, I, I, I guess I represent a lot of things and, and nothing specifically at once. Um, I've been involved, I've been involved with the underground occult movement, new age, new thought for actually next year, it'll be 25 years, which is uh, actually kind of Amazing for me, I've seen a lot of things even in that time rise and fall, uh, other figureheads, other people, other even movements. Um, and uh, I'd like to say a quarter of a century. Unfortunately, it, it started in 1995 and, of course, has led up into into now. Um, so it's, it's covering two centuries. Um, but uh, so primarily in, in the very beginning, my, my original involvement actively was actually uh, involved with Veralt Druidism, which um, some people may be familiar with it. Uh, one of my original mentors, uh, his name's Douglas Monroe. 
And he wrote The 21 Lessons of Merlin and several other Merlin books, uh, Lost Books of Merlin, Deep Teachings of Merlin. But uh, so I began I began my my official apprenticeship uh, essentially involved with with that paradigm. And in the process of that, uh, I actually brought myself into uh, a, a lot of avenues, a lot of uh, deep corners of esoterica and the underground. And a lot of it inspired by uh, actually trying to uncover the controversial origins of Druidism, of the tradition that I was originally um, so inclined and drawn to. And the more I did that, uh, the farther across Europe I was reaching to the ancient Near East, which was something else also of great interest of mine. And and that was something that uh, it's easier to talk about now, uh, back in the mid-90s. People, the words Anunnaki, Mesopotamia, Babylon, people didn't have as as great of an understanding or familiarity with them. Uh, So a lot of my work publicly actually was restricted not so much for what I'm known for today, but for what was uh, a little bit more acceptable or of unpopular interest at the time, including um, practical magic. you know, I've had a lot of uh, involvement and mentorships with a lot of diverse uh, individuals and groups, um, the Golden Dawn, Aurum Solis, uh, Argentum Ashtram, a whole bunch of Ordo Templo Orientis. But I don't actually carry a, a direct affiliation with any of these groups. Uh, I've just I've been involved with um, different aspects of, of their modern work and a lot of other things that uh, I've actually been able to have the opportunity to influence that I don't even really get to take credit for um, over the course of this time. So, you know, as you said, I've been outside the box for a long time. Forever. A lot of other people from an, <laughs> yes. early, uh, an early age of mine, uh, you know, they, they took notice of this too, took notice of the way that I was approaching uh, information, data, uh, the way I was incorporating it holistically um, without basically being fixed into individual paradigms, which was something I was running into before I established the modern Mardukite movement, was that there weren't really a lot of holistic paradigms out there. There were a lot of ways where people could emphasize or fix their attentions, you know, on, on strictly one or two aspects of something or a certain culture or tradition, um, but they were always looked at in exclusion to everything else. And so my my personal approach and, and what I relay in my writing uh, actually presented a much more holistic, uh, it presented wholeness, um, the defragmentation of knowledge, um, trying to uh, bring clarity and um, dissolve a lot of the misconceptions um, that we have semantically as far as even our approaches to ancient history. Um, unfortunately, even today, even though um, back then a lot of people didn't understand the terminology like Anunnaki or, or Babylon Sumerian, even today now they only have a certain understanding of it. Uh, so they kind of assume they know the work that that um, like my research organization is doing just because it, it seems to tie in the familiar keywords like Anunnaki or Sumerian or Mesopotamian. Um, and I'm sure you've even had people on your program before that, that, you know, talk about similar topics. So we go, you know, well, we, we know what, what that's about. They're, they're just studying it that way. But, um, as I say, that holistic approach is what's kind of separated, uh, what we call the Mardukite movement, which includes not only Mesopotamia, but, uh, you know, a holistic study. Um, it just, it, it, has to have a classification to to separate it, of course, from other people's approaches. So we chose Mardukite for uh, numerous reasons. 
but it includes way more than even just Mesopotamia. It, it includes uh, things that are, as I said, new thought and new consciousness, things that are more about personal development that uh, scholars, historical, uh, you know, looking at these things specifically in a historical artifact museum-based uh, understanding, they're not really seeing the holistic picture or even an application to modern day. So that's basically what separates uh, my work from a lot of other things that seem to overlap or use similar themes. Yeah, that's one thing I, well, I won't mention any names, but there are other people's work that I have read, and it almost sounds like a lot of it, they might have even lifted from you. And that happens a lot. Um, unfortunately, this first decade, uh, the Mardukites, the Mardukite movement itself is now uh, in its 11th year. The active group that I launched to try and actually develop uh, and do personal experimentation, self-actualization work, things that actually don't even, when people think of ancient history or what they see on TV about it, they don't even associate these things with it. But we've been able to look beneath, you know, the between the lines of these ancient texts in a way that, you know, scholars, people that may know more or have been able to memorize, you know, a series of king lists or dates or whatever, you know, in terms of their knowledge versus mine, um, they're still just seeing it as a series of data and facts without any kind of like natural incorporation or way that actually assists us or, or helps us in our world. And so, or as an individual. Yes. And so this is a this is a huge difference between our esoteric approach to, for example, archaeology and a lot of the more academic or specifically just tr trying to approach it as, well, here's a series of facts. Here's a few series of things to know, and we can classify it and we can tear it apart and we can fragment it into all these other ways of knowing it. But these people aren't actually getting any closer to understanding anything. They're just developing, you know, a larger and larger database. Of, of facts and information. And it really takes somebody outside of that that's not critically driven by that motiv motivation exclusively of just collecting the data to, to really make use of it. Um, for, you know, for, for example, in the practical new age applications that we're doing. Um, and unfortunately, uh, I've been really focused on, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, it, it benefits the people that are that are accessing the information, the people that are actually reading and using our work. Uh, but I've, I've been more focused on uh, developing the core that we've been using as kind of the outer circle or the outer outer court uh, information that's published um, that we publish that's that's widely available. Uh, versus the the actual work that's being done internally, which is actually not the same one to one as what's being published. And and the work that's being published is entirely revolutionary on its own. But people have to actually work through that before they can actually get to this this higher level of of realization or understanding with it and actually apply it for for what it means on a deeper level. And that deeper level, it's the same you know the world over. It's a very covert, hidden. Um, you know, a select few really understand it, and there's there's good reason for that. Uh, as far as the influence, though, we, our organization, uh, you know, for those, even though that my name may not be as, as publicly visible or the term Mardukite may not be publicly visible, I mean, even aside from all the stuff that's been influenced that I'm not aware of, uh, we've had a direct influence um, on many applications out there. Uh, and many uh, forms of entertainment and media um, that I'm aware of. 
And as far as the others, unfortunately, um, I've been kind of pushed back. And so what we're doing for the next decade, and we've already plotted out our next decade of research and discovery and experimentation and development, um, is really actually making a bigger base, uh, a foundation, a stand, a public presence, um, and also the formation of what people have actually been requesting for the last decade, the formation of a formalized secret society, magical order, uh, esoteric organization, whatever you want to call it, you know, with um, tapping into the stuff that people on the surface level aren't prepared for or that gets easily overlooked because it's not as colorful as some of the other things. And yet um, it's the most sought after uh, information and developments. And so we've spent 10 years doing the research discovery and relay of the uh, public outer circle work. The next 10 years, we're basically spending solidifying the infrastructure of the Mordecai organization for you know, the next millennia, um, the next the next golden dawn, the next the next wave of the next evolution, whatever you want to ascribe to it semantically. Um, that's basically our focus. And so actually this year, um, our em entire emphasis this year is going is is well it has been already uh you know um behind the scenes, but we're basically raising capital to establish permanent infrastructure, a permanent office, a permanent base of operations, um, being able to offer workshops, being able to um, dispense correspondence courses, uh, things that are going to be able to bring people to that next level. So even though that, yeah, our stuff's been really um, – it's 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 been people have pushed us down i mean i've been last time i was on your show we talked about how i was actually banned from um you know history channel involvement specifically the ancient aliens documentary that's and right as a result of, uh, yes. of yeah definitely remind of those circles yeah um go to coast am formal right. circles since since we've become the underdog the next decade is going to be spent fighting back as that third kind of that third arm, that third, uh, that all, that crystalline balance between a left and right arm of of this kind of movement, both sides of it and whatnot. So um, I think our influence will actually become a little bit more paramount um, in the next decade than even what people have kind of, like you said, you've been able to notice that. Others have brought it to my attention too, um, as far as you know, people they they've pushed the Mardukites kind of out of the public view and then borrow yeah. liberally from everything that we've done. Yes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that, yes. And that's one thing I did want to go over quickly here, just as a reminder for those that are just tuning in. I know we went over this last time about you being basically blackballed from the sort of major sort of platforms, being coast-to-coast -coast being uh, one of them. Uh, can you tell right. us exactly why, if there is a, a reason in your mind? Um, I think, you know, there's many aspects to this, and I've always been involved with that part of the underground. You know, you think about, you know, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the, the land of the island of misfit toys, you know, I'm... My my position has always been pushed into being a misfit among misfits. We have this alleged idea of this new age of enlightenment, of everybody's pushing towards this new consciousness, progression and awareness and so on and so forth. And that's an excellent ideal. I wish it was true. But that's not actually the case. 
unfortunately, just like all aspects of the system and all aspects of our reality, uh, every single program involved with it has people at a higher level, at an unseen level, that are manipulating that program. And so uh, even in this alleged position of, you know, an information age, which in and of itself is actually a devil, you know, uh, in its own respects, uh, in terms of the influx of just vast information for the sake of information, whether or not any of it's actually valid, true. Exactly. Um, yes. There's now more out there than a person can filter through them in their lifetime. And that in and of itself is a sign of the things that the, the point that we are at. Uh, for those that are able to, you know, you mentioned, you know, we, we mentioned the phrase, I've been outside the box. Well, I have been outside the box long enough and have attracted enough attention to that activity to be able to now say being outside the box is a cliche. You might as well still be in the program. Outside of the box is no longer outside of the box. And we have done nothing but invent more things to know about and more things to be distracted with in the last 20 years of this new millennium than we have made progress on the surface level. Now, there's all kinds of stuff going on underneath the level. Like I said, even my own work as paramount and as, you know, as as vast and prodigious, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've written over two dozen books. Insane. I, it, you it, you it have so scrapes, much material. It only scrapes the surface. Right. Even of that, of, of what's beneath. And, and that is even after reducing everything with an acid test. I'm not one of those people. I mean, the reason we developed the library that we did and, and made it available to people uh, is because that it replaces so many other distractive avenues and ways and things you could spend so much time and energy focus and money on, which feeds somebody else's existence, but doesn't necessarily assist your own progression and development on the path of ascension. So what we've got is we've got a point where just like every other time that a system had a figure or a key point of liberation, it's been corrupted. And that's, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it entropy. You can call it reptilianism. It doesn't matter. It's just the basic breakdown of a system where now to be outside the box, we have programs to trap those outside the box thinkers into loops upon loops upon loops of keeping their brains occupied, figure, figure, figure. Um, and and they're not going to get any farther than and than anyone else. They delude themselves because of their higher intellect and and their accessibility to maybe more information or even true abilities of channeling. Um, but a lot of them, like I say, it's a corrupted program. And I agree, though. Program, it's it. There's there's something there's things to know, and there's a state of awareness to to achieve. But this program, the the craving. To know this this drive that is um, insatiable it is not able to be satisfied. That is the most that a lot of people are able to get to. That there's always another corner and another corner and another corner, and that the paper and the the pattern can be further fragmented and folded and separated. And there's more parts and levels and aspects to be you know labeled and diagrammed and modeled and figured. And then they pat themselves on the back and go, look at what we've discovered. And they're still in the thought mode. They're still thinking their way through it in this, this myriad of data. And that in and of itself is an inhibitor to the ability to learn. You know, and I'm not talking about a craving, you know, the crave to know, a craving as we understand like an addiction is something that's not necessarily satisfiable. You know what I'm saying? And so 
those that have the ability to be perceptive, they end up getting lost in a series of just labyrinths of information, most of it invented knowledge that inhibits the ability to actually rise on that path of ascension during a lifetime. And so we keep coming back and we do it again and we do it again and we do it again. And we, you know, nobody ever wins. We just do it a little bit better. But, uh, you know, the, the point of it being to get to the, that self-actualization of seeing things in a, a clarity that unfortunately uh, is not as available in, in the world the way it's dispensed. Um, this is something that people have to just dedicate their personal ambition in life to, just as we would any other pursuit or any other type of skill or hobby in our lives. And so what's been done is the new age has been essentially capitalized and turned more into a marketplace and a way to further basically just get people to feed feed their attentions towards whatever a person's doing. Um, you know, uh, this is, I mean, this is done, this has happened everywhere else. I mean, this is no different uh, in, in any other industry. But unfortunately, there's an illusion that the new age or new thought, new consciousness, this paradigm shifting, that everybody's on the same page and everybody's looking out for the greater good of the planet and uh, the survival of humanity. And, and that's not really the case. And it really doesn't seem that way, uh, it being the case of anyone specifically looking out for all of us out there. It's, it's, it seems a lot more greedier than that. And unfortunately, that's part of the powers that we've had in control, you know, to this day. In ancient times, we had a different system, and that's the same system in Mesopotamia and, and, and the cradle of civilization all the way through. Um, well, it's still, it's still kind of uh, overshadowed and overlapped on as far as our, our deification of our political leaders. But in ancient times, these people were ruling by divine right. They were considered a completely different genealogy, uh, a completely different uh, potential of aptitude, potential of awareness than the surviving population. Um, and so the people in control at that time, um, they had a completely different mentality. The, they were selected by, by the gods to basically protect and take care of the people in their name. Um, today, we have political ambitions that inhibit even our own technological and progressive growth. Uh, people involved in the oil industry, people that are involved with what type of technologies are, you know, uh, out there. Uh, a lot of other countries that aren't dependent on, on oil mongers and, and people in control of that position, they're making vast, uh, you know, sweeping technological uh, advancements in, in renewable energy, in all other kinds of ways that they can advance things and, and hyper transit systems, you know, our dependency here in America, uh, it inhibits that growth. And that's the type of authoritarian control that inhibits the mentality of the consciousness throughout all times. Um, you know, it's the denominator that decides what we can elevate ourselves to, the pot that we can grow from. And the idea of the king and the land are one is no longer the case. Now we have elderly, you know, business tycoons that, you know, rape the land and are basically destroying our planet, destroying our ability to survive for the little bits of chance that they have to get ahead in like this imaginary economic world. And I'm not sitting here trying to make this about political developments or anything that's happening today. It's the exact same story that's happened throughout time that 
the the health of our leadership and the health of those that are in command or in the position or have the responsibility, the ability to respond to the needs of of the community, were at one point of an integral with that population. Even though there was a separation, I mean, they were they you know they still lived in palaces, they still had their their intermediaries, but they were you know if if the people died, they died. If the land died, they you know what I mean. There was an integral part of it. Um, it wasn't purely uh, economic and fiat-based. Uh, the health was one. And we see this today, uh, even in the mentality, it, it, it falls down that pyramid based on the leadership of a country or a region or even a smaller organization and how it affects the people that are following it. No, definitely. Um, and I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off there, but uh, Joshua, for those that don't know, how did you first become involved with all this? What influenced you to go down this route? I think some individuals out there uh, still want to know. Well, see, now that that does border on some areas that I don't want to say are a matter of faith, but are a matter that cross lines of what are what is empirical knowledge and what is uh, what is something of me just saying things and whatnot. Um, you know, for me, this was inherent from birth. Um, I won't even, you know, forget conjecturing reincarnation, past lives, or whatnot. Sure. My first, uh, you know, and I and I'm told this to this day. I, I actually have it in a Ziploc bag. When I was two years old, uh, from the age of two, and I was articulate from before that, but from the age of two, I started dictating story narratives about Merlin. And I would draw the pictures, and I would have them written on pages, and I would make books. I inherently had an obsession with books. I had an obsession with the the written word, the binding of it, the collecting of it. Um, so at two years old, I wrote my first book, essentially, or dictated, and it was about Merlin. And apparently it was about Merlin and him being timeless, him living backwards, being born an old man, and the things that he was able to see uh, about the world. And I drew cartoony pictures to it while my mom wrote what I said. And I see. see my parents, they really didn't understand that. Like from the get go, it was like, okay, well, there's really no reason for him to be saying these things or for whatever, but we'll go with it. And so, you know, from that point, you know, it was, I don't want to say encouraged. I was actually raised a Catholic. So Were you? let's not get the, yeah, let's not, let's not dismiss the fact that in my household growing up, the occult, magic, spellcraft, witchcraft, whatever, that was devil worship. Okay. That oh, was absolutely. how I was raised. Right. It doesn't mean I was necessarily indoctrinated and agreed to, but that was the, that was the thing. However, this wasn't me going and looking for something. This wasn't me, um, you know, seeking out something that I was, I was a little kid, um, but I was attracted to magic books, the occult books, the, the, the epitome, that, that volume that becomes the central, uh, you know, archetype of the movie or, uh, you know, Care Bears, anything that was, you know, fantasy, colorful, uh, the use of energy and intention, um, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, certain keys. I mean, I was an 80s child. I mean, that's one thing I do need to put in this perspective for some people that may not understand. I don't know what my voice sounds like these days. Uh, you know, it gets a, a lot more um, monotonous and tinny as time goes on. I'm I'm in my my mid to late 30s. 
Okay, so when I say I started in 1995, I was 12 years old. Wild. Okay, so yeah, um, I wasn't your typical child. I wasn't your typical adolescent. And when I did start getting involved in and in, in into the midst of this underground, I was a, a prodigious young, you know, child. Now, you know, I'm a middle-aged, you know, author, blah, blah, blah. But at the time, the reason why I was getting getting so far and the reason why so many people were opening up and so many people were interested in mentoring was because of that age, because of that enlightened child aura that was being projected and certain people were picking up on. And they're like, well, let's encourage it. I mean, you know, this kid's, you know, he's doing this. He's like, he understands this. And he, you know, he asks these questions. So, you know, from a very young age, I started seeking it out. Um, and so um, I can remember being 13 years old and riding my bicycle through Minneapolis. I was living in Minneapolis at the time and riding my bike through Minneapolis to College Town where Magus Books was. And, uh, you know, Roger Williamson owned the bookstore and he was sitting there demonstrating to me, you know, how to use a pendulum. And, you know, different things. And, and then uh, I moved to Colorado and it blew my freaking mind. You know, I came from Minneapolis. I was a total outsider with my interest there. And I come to, uh, Denver. Well, Joshua, you had more. Joshua, you're forgetting that. You're forgetting that you have been a traveler. You've gone all over the place, Joshua. (laughs) That's one thing you are not telling the audience here. Well, and some of that travel did take place later. Um, You know, uh, as far as uh, I mean, shortly after founding the Mardukites, I mean, yeah, I went on a a, a you went everywhere journey. Yeah, man, um, including uh, you know. I remember uh, one of the times we were talking, I believe you were uh, on your way to go do something with someone else, but we didn't actually meet. I yeah, was crossing, I yeah, I was crossing a bridge, walking over the five, Highway 5 over there in uh, San Juan Capistrano, and you were supposed to be, you were driving up for some reason or another, and I was like, yeah. oh, well, shoot, too bad you're in a... I know, we should have. So, yeah, Southern California, um, you know, I was in Orange County. I was in San Jose um, checking out Rosicrucian Park, some things there. And, um, yeah, I spent six months uh, actually roaming roaming the underground of San Francisco and its entire underground occult movement. Um, My travels also took me up to Portland. I was in Portland. I'm um, actually doing a television show on PBS uh, involving the Anunnaki uh, back in 2009, uh, checking out uh, the Mary Hill uh, Stonehenge monument, full-size Stonehenge uh, replica actually out there. A lot of people don't know about. Um, you know, I've, I've my travels, I've spent time in uh, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, I've, through Oklahoma. I spent time down in Key West, Florida. Um I have been working to interact with people the last decade, uh, discovery, research, development, um, you know, infiltration of all kinds of groups, all kinds of underground, accessing all kinds of information, bringing it back. Um, and this past year is the year uh, we actually, I mean, we we basically definitively are bringing all the outer court work out to um, its epitome. Basically, for 10 years, we were releasing our work underground through the Mardukite True Seeker Press. And in order to get, uh, as part of the steps, to get to our next uh, 10 years of, of public exposure, development, and whatnot, infrastructure, 
I actually decided to take back control of all the work that I had written. And I actually launched uh, about eight months ago my own independent publishing company. Uh, it, uh, you know, before it, it's still stuff available on Amazon. Before we were publishing through Amazon, we were using all kinds of different self publishing, kind of rudimentary ways of publishing. Um, now, for the first time, you know, in the 25 years I've been writing and self-publishing, we actually have uh, launched an actual official independent publishing uh, called the Joshua Free Publishing Imprint. Um, right. And so all of the work, everything, uh, the, the, the Mardukite core, all those Necronomicon books have been re rewritten, republished, completely polished up for the longevity and posterity. Um, works that I have written. Hey Joshua, uh, I'm sorry to. Joshua, I'm sorry to cut Go you ahead. off, but I think there is sure. someone who wants to talk to you. Oh, we got a caller. Yes, sir. Uh, caller, you are <laughs> yeah. live on there. What's going on? Hello, Mr. Deacon. How are you this evening? This is the Awakening Man. What What's going on, boss? How are you? I, I just was listening, but I, I regretfully I didn't get a chance to hear the beginning. Uh, but it sounded very interesting. Is can you give me like a I apologize, but like a ten or twenty second recap of what would you what you guys are kind of talking about tonight, because it sounded very interesting. Oh, you know, we can't do that, my friend. It's been amazing so far. We can't go back in time. There's a time <laughs> you machine here. time-traveling abilities there on this show? That was, no, I we don't. You had time. No, you, you have to find that other show out there. I think they're more known for that. <laughs> that other show out there, yeah, that one. So I, I, is your guest, uh, is he um, a believer in alien abduction? And I'm not being silly. Alien abduction or the or the uh, telepathic, uh, teletronic uh, microwave uh, technology that they're using to do mind control and things of that nature? That's a great question. Uh, Joshua, did you hear him clearly there? Uh, I heard I did something I did. Uh, asking a believer in abductions, mind control, and all sorts of all sorts of good stuff that's happening these days. Yes, and you know, that leads me to ask you, Joshua, you have written the Necronomicon, and it's vastly different from the Simon version. I thought we can talk a little bit about that, but before we do, definitely answer that. Uh, since there's been all sorts of mainstream media craze in the unidentified flying objects now that pilots sure. are seen and all that. I'm sure you've been aware. So all of this does tie in. Good, good question, caller. Uh, go ahead, Joshua. Yeah, no, the, um, I mean, the universe is a pretty big place. Um, and the mind is infinite. There's all kinds of stuff going on right now. I mean, you know, as far as, uh, independent, companies, governments, anyone pretty much doing these things have been happening since I, the 1940s, 1950s. Um, anyways, um, as far as my expertise, as far as what I deal with, um, the the slippery slope that actually comes up, and you mentioned like the Necronomicon and uh, Anunnaki and whatnot, is that, that everything is all or none or that everything that relates or is similar is all the same thing. Uh, the work that I've particularly done that involves ancient Mesopotamia, that involves the Anunnaki figures, even spiritual, occult, mystical, and Illuminati stuff involving these figures to this day, um, this is all work that's being done energetically um, through the astral, uh, things that are being done with uh, energy experiments, Faraday cages, uh, stuff of that nature. I mean, these are things I don't talk about in the books. But um, 
the thing that I can say is that these things have been also in these same beings have been interacting with the uh, adept occultists and sensitive people for thousands of years. It is not necessarily one to one the same as all of the UFO phenomenon, uh, things involving government, things involving, you know, before we used to talk about aliens, then we used to talk about sure. the government. The interesting thing now is it's really private enterprises that are involved, big money, big industry, private uh, private businesses that are doing a lot of things. Um, so there's a lot of phenomenon, for sure, taking place out there. Uh, but the one thing that we have to make sure we're careful of, and this does go back to some of what I was talking about before in terms yeah. of information and distractions, is that, that it's all-inclusive or that, you know, every, I mean, yeah, on a higher level, everything is related together. Nothing is in exclusion to anything else. But um, the beings that I've been involved with, uh, in terms of our energy experiments, uh, and in terms of the work that's been done esoterically, the occult, you know, things that go back even to Aleister Crowley over 100 years ago, the Golden Dawn, Orm Solis, um, the Theosophical Society. Um, these beings are not necessarily the same as what people are experiencing as alien phenomenon today. That's not to say that the term ancient alien is inappropriate, um, but what we have is we have a series of beings that in within the Mesopotamian language that we call the Anunnaki that do make a presence in ancient uh, in ancient times at the pretty much the inception of modern human systems, modern human civilization around the world. Um, these beings make a definitive presence. They appear in mythologies, the same planetary pantheons uh, repeatedly throughout cultures all around the world, and then they leave. And then what we have is a series of mystical, spiritual, religious, and other phenomenon that are related to them. Now, those beings, for all likelihood or, you know, intents and purposes, are now immaterial. Those beings are there that are accessed through spiritual techniques, spiritual technologies, and encountered when people are rising the path of ascension through this gate work that's alluded to since ancient Mesopotamia. That has absolutely nothing to do with technological civilizations, of which I'm sure there are infinite numbers of out there in the cosmos that are using physical technology, just like humans are attempting to do, to reach out across the cosmos, do whatever, make visitations, or even fake being the deities of our past. Um, yeah. Those are all logical possibilities and probably things that would or will take place, you know, if things, you know, follow their current course. But people need to be smarter, you know, and need to be a little bit more aware and a little bit more educated uh, to the full encompassing nature of what we're dealing with here. It's not, it's no minuscule subject. And it's for that reason that most people either get trapped in a loop of, of information that they're never going to get past. Um, and a select few are able to get through and, and, and esoteric occult, you know, these words all generally mean that they're going to be understood by a select few. You know, the, for, for, you know, I would, I would estimate that 10% of the people hearing this message right now are probably going to actually get it. Others may be entertained. Others might be fed their craving to know more information, but it's not necessarily going to get them to the next point. Absolutely. And in terms of physical abduction by extraterrestrials are you aligned with that notion of it being a possibility or is that some sort of other thing going on with that individual inside their psyche 
Um, well, it's it's hard to say. Uh, there's a lot of sadistic entities out there, and there's a lot of ulterior motives out there, whether it's strictly interdimensional or extraterrestrial or has something else involved. I witnessed, I mean, as you mentioned, I was, I was well-traveled and, you know, I know what you're hinting around there. So, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I spent, I spent six months on the streets right. of San Francisco. Let's not even, you know, sugarcoat it. Streets. Yes. Running with street kids, living in squat houses. In squats. Yeah, there we go. some of the stuff. And let me say, I say squat houses. These were buildings that had more esoteric occult graffiti in them and more energy bouncing off the walls than any church or alleged occult lodge that I've ever been to. It's been a while. Um, it's been a while since I've been inside <laughs> of a, a nice proper squat. And yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. You definitely do see a lot of this sort of artwork. It's very well, and here's the, the, the amazing part of it is, is I actually wanted to bring one of them outward. I wanted to bring one of it public because there was something going on at one of them that was so profound and so long going that I thought this is amazing. The point when I wanted to go back, do my research, take my pictures, and pictures do exist still archivally on the internet about it. The place burned down. Well, it caught on fire. The city of San Francisco removed all shreds of it, backfilled the rest of it, and the place doesn't even exist anymore. It used to house, it used to be the bathhouse connected to the largest above ground swimming pool on the planet. And this thing, it, it ceases to exist. Uh, it was called Flysharker Pool House. It was literally spitting distance to Ocean Beach on San Francisco. And this place, uh, it, you know, you can pull it up on the internet, you can see old archival pictures. I've never been to anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. The greedy feedy within it, yeah, some of it was tagged, some of it was nice murals. Right. It was very clear this place had been used for a coal activity for a very long time. And anyone sensitive you know, sensitive to it would tell. No doubt. But there's there's a lot of this actually on the West Coast. And I, I mean we're we're talking about miles from, you know, I, I know you've had the guy on your program. I don't I I, I, I kind of steer clear because of some of his other attachments, uh the the, the Temple of Set. Oh yes. You are Satan. You're referring to Dr. Michael Aquino. Right. Right. Um and I have no disrespect there. That's okay. Um but whatever whatever is going on over there on the West Coast, I've been in it. I've experienced it, and I'm lucky to have gotten out of it. Um, there's other aspects out there, and I wrote a small booklet about it because I didn't want to either infringe my own protection or anybody out there that was doing it. But we have people out there on the streets performing what they call magic games. That's true. Um, these are people using all kinds of stuff. They're developing. They have their own system. Um, they, they play, they, they use psychoactive drugs, um, crystalline meth, all kinds of different things out there, raising their vibrations and interacting in ways that I, I honestly, I'm not condoning or advocating any of it, but I've not seen anything like that anywhere else in my travels. Um, well, I can't deny that. Pretty that amazing. has gone on from what I've been told. But you've uh, had other people also talk about some of these things. Not on here. But okay. it, yeah, through email, yeah. <laughs> and that was the thing. I, I <laughs> yes. wanted to write more about it. There's a lot of things that I have actually wanted to bring out that aren't so mainstream, that are actually very, very real compared to some of the stuff that does get the attention. But they're, they're being the problem. You were asking, you know, we'll get back. You know, 20 minutes ago, you said, why, why the blackballing? 
Yes, wow. the blackballing. You know, this is kind of becoming self-evident here. This is, I am not the type of person, apparently, even though, you know, I have no problem saying my little two-bit sentence or, you know, trying to get the exposure towards my work to, not for my own selfish interest, but because it, it is so paramount and it is so different and it is so easily overlooked um, in, in the environment out there. But people aren't ready for it. And even these supposed people, whether it's, um, you know, um, I had a publicist. Um, and I, that's, that's tried to get me on to, uh, and this not, not actively, this was in the past, but tried to get me on Nori's AM, uh, coast to coast AM. Right. I believe it was half a dozen times. Half of them are canceled and the other half just kind of went a fizzle. Um, and this was back in 2008, 2009, 2010, when this stuff was still a little bit more fresh even. Um, it's, there's, there's something about the way that I'm doing it. Uh, it attracts a certain segment of people that otherwise I don't know if they would have the avenues that I'm providing, and it also seems to push a lot of them away. Um, the same thing applies to our literature that we've produced, and that's why the new uh, publishing imprint, uh, I changed the way that we were kind of doing things. Um, there's a lot of people that have been attracted to our work because it says Necronomicon. Right. I also have about nine out of 10 of those types of people that don't want to look at the work because it says Necronomicon. Um, and so that's semantic in and of itself. Yeah, there was a reason why we kept it. Um, we're now actually producing things diversely. Um, our Necronomicon Anunnaki Bible, which is like our staple work source book from, from over a decade ago, um, probably the most popularly distributed. It's now available also as the complete Anunnaki Bible. Um, our Gates of the Necronomicon work, which was profound doing things that, I mean, on a historical, archaeological, and esoteric level that had never been seen before, overlooked because it was called Gates of the Necronomicon. I've since released the more academic historical aspects of that work as the Sumerian Legacy, a guide to esoteric archaeology. Um, our our uh, final book in the trilogy that composes the main Mardukai core, and by that, these core books, they're, they're like anthologies. So, I mean, it's three books that, you know, even the acquisition of those, it's I, I, over a dozen, possibly, I think, 15 individual titles that I had at once produced, collected together. Um, but the last one, it's called Necronomicon, the Anunnaki Grimoire, and we also <laughs> released that as uh, practical Babylonian magic, uh, invoking the power of the Sumerian Anunnaki. So we've decided that at this point, and, and, and acknowledged and have responded to, there is a segment of the population that's solely interested in our, our pathway because it says Necronomicon. Exactly. And for those that are like, you know what, you know, that's some Lovecraftian bullshit, whatever, blah, 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 um, which really is funny because that's not even what the Simon book represents. Um, yeah, go ahead and tell the, the, we have the others. Yeah, go ahead and tell the listeners out there, the newer listeners out there who don't know anything about your book and tell us, well, they, some of them know about your version of the Necronomicon, but sure. tell us the difference well, yeah. from the Simon version. The Simon one is definitely more popular and it is naturally the reason why we maintain that semantic. Um, the Simon book, uh, the, the new age of Marduk seemed to take place around 1977, which is simultaneously when uh, the Simon Necronomicon appeared. And while it said Necronomicon and it did 
present uh, information in a way that might be resonant of uh, this kind of darker aspect of, of human consciousness and magic and occult. What it really was doing was presenting a bastardized version, simplified and incomplete, of uh, what we are now presenting as the Mardukite tradition. It's essentially, and we use the word Sumerian because it's a nice catch-all, but it's essentially the Babylonian Mardukite tradition, the system, the first systemization of human consciousness as it was relayed in Babylon and the Babylonian methodology, paradigm, fragmentation, and, well, we might call it religion today. They didn't really call it a religion. But um, so what we've done is we've gone to the sources of where uh, the Simon book was alludedly uh, alluded from, um, the Enumial Lish, the McClure rituals, the uh, Babili text, which deal with the gateways, the stargates of Babylon, uh, things of that nature. And we brought a more complete, less, you know, here, scare your parents with this devil worship book. Kind that's of what it was approach. all about. Yeah. Uh, to to what it actually is is representing, and so it's for that reason that we maintain the term Necronomicon. Um, one of my previous colleagues also had some ties to Peter Lavenda, and so um, in in more and more of what I was understanding behind it and its development, it just made clear sense. Um, what most people don't know is that the you know it was it's been widely published over a million copies from Avon Books, Harper Collins now, um, you know, in paperback form. But that was originally composed to provide a kind of baseline paradigm that they could do at the time, you know, to their extent of ability, I guess, um, for the OTO, a, a magical organization that. Um, uh, the, the 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 author that made it the the most famous, I guess, in our time would be Kenneth Grant. And Kenneth Grant advocates uh, aspects of the Simon Necronomicon and Lovecraftian mythos and whatnot um, into his relay. Some of, people are uh, deep the into that yeah. magical tradition. Yeah, some people are very deep into the Simon version. Uh, yes, I know. They plague me with their problem issue correspondence uh, messages all the time because, again, it's uh, it's it's something that, as with everything, all all pursuits, all studies, um, even even a, a, a self honest approach, sometimes at the path. Um, there's there's so many ways of getting wrapped up in what we're programmed to to, to find or what we're programmed to accept. Um, you know, it's been treated as uh, much like the Keys of Solomon, the Goetia, and other you know medieval grimoires. It's been treated as a spirit evocation volume uh, or grimoire, and uh, um, you know, a, a, a means of black magic or, or, or whatnot. That reminds me. There is. Um, I'm sorry to cut yeah. you off, but that reminds me. Once you said Goetia, uh, you know that mm -hmm. remind that reminded me of other individuals out there who have raised to sort of online i guess they've become notorious per se online now there's some individuals out there who are on youtube and they do all these rituals and stuff and they sell uh, lots of books and all kinds of in mm -hmm. incredible things going on they're marketing this these things very good in my opinion how do you feel about those folks out there are are any of them genuine well, and that's kind of that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying as far as the corruption of all programs. Um, in some in in some cases, uh, I think some people set out with some pretty good intentions. I think shit happens, and I think that they're weak enough to fall to it and not realize what they're doing. 
Um, I see. I know the people of which you speak. I avoid them. Um, Understood. The problem, and, that's, and that, again, is the problem. Um, you know, there are some people that are better marketed. Right. And right. I can guarantee you, mark my words, this is going to be our mission for the next 10 years. And that's basically, that inspired my decision to take over all the publishing personally. Um, we still operate the Mardukite Tree Seeker Press, but um, to take on, uh, to take control of all the materials um, and, uh, and it's going to be promoted and we're going to work very diligently um, at that. My goal is not to make it a competition um, sure. A lot of these people, uh, we're going to be a brighter light, I, I guess you could say. And we're going to be spewing, you know, the acid test of reality all around us. And a lot of them are not going to be able to withstand that. A lot of them are going to fall by the wayside as they already have. Most of the people you're talking about have only been even been in the, involved in the occult actively for half the time period I have. Yeah, you've been and I'm in not there. saying this to be egotistical. It's true, I'm though. I'm saying this because I've watched it. I've watched what they did from the beginning, and I've seen all the source materials that they had when they began. Um, you know, I was there. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the thing there. And, and again, it's not to be pompous or egotistical, but our... Our work is going to shine through the test of time. Um, other people, you know, they're sticks of dynamite. They are, you know, they are applying explosives to something that we are going to be shoveling at long after they've exhausted themselves. Um, and that's that's just the bottom line. I have been doing this. A lot of these people, this is that's that's a means of capitalism to them. Um, and believe it or not, that goes back to the game that is being played behind people's eyes. Um, the, the underground, the beneath the surface, the politics involved, you know, there's a war going on for your mind. Yeah, that's what makes me on for your focus, your attention and your money. And there is only a limited right. amount of all of it in your lifetime. I mean, this is so cliche, but it is true. Yeah, and, no, you're right. You're right. I was just going <laughs> to I was going to quickly tag on to just by saying or tag on to that just by saying there's lots of individuals out there who say these things and, and they go out there with lots of authority. I'm not talking about any political figures, but just other no. people involved in certain fields out there. They say all these things, but you can't help but feel, do they really mean what they're saying, though? Do they even believe right. what they're saying? You you have plenty of these folks out there, and it, it gets a little odd because some of these individuals, they get this huge following behind them, and it becomes like a cult. And I'm not saying that's what you have going on, because certainly you're not someone who is anything like that. You're not like those if other we individuals. Were, we would probably be so much farther along. I yeah, guarantee you. <laughs> most likely. Yes. <laughs> On a physical infrastructure level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. No. Yeah, no um, and that's the thing. And that's we, I mean, what we're changing in terms of becoming an organization is meeting the demands of what people want to reach them at the level that they're at and their level of understanding in terms of grading and trying to work with people on a more individual basis. It's not to form a new cult or a secret society in the way of we're separating people from their world and you, you come in, uh, you know, garden on our farm and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, you, can, you can work off your teachings. You know, I've never been that way. I've never been exclusionary either. I've always encouraged people involved with the work 
to share it with their family and friends, to be involved with their family, to show that, hey, you're becoming a better self-actualized individual by this. No, I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, cut ties between you, family and friends. Because um, I've been through all that. I've actually, I have actually even been involved, and I won't say which ones. I've actually put myself at the mercy of being involved in cult activity just to better understand it. That's the type of person I've been. I have been an intrepid, you know, I, the the path that I have taken in the last twenty five. Your name years is, is your not destiny. Necessarily the the path that I'm advocating to other people, but I am openly sharing a lot of the aspects that I've drawn from those experiences. And if people don't like them, that's fine. You know, that's one of the you know biggest aspects of cult mentality is that it's you know one way or no way. But the, the the thing behind that still is there is a way and there is a fundamental truth out there. And once we get past a lot of our semantic and vocabulary barriers, it, you know, there there is a, a singularity. Uh, it's just usually once groups have it, entropy takes over and, uh, you know, it falls apart or new new leadership takes over. Yes, and let me just and add. we can't and we can't always mm -hmm. fault that uh, you know the message for that. There's too many times when a new liberating message has come forth, um, only to be obscured or overshadowed by the life of the messenger or some other aspect involved with that person. And then even beyond that, we have the followers. We have the people that carry that message beyond the point or the the lifetime of its of its origination. And then, you know, we have that to base our understanding on, um, which, again, entropy, uh, corruption, you know, time and time again. I mean, we can see it in the biggest class. Those, you know, Jesus says, love thy neighbor. And somehow the church ended up, you know, construing that as let's have a crusade and kill everybody that isn't like us. You know, you can't you can't just, you know, you can't judge the message because people are carrying it falsely in that name either. Yeah, we see a lot um, of that with, with with these millionaire pastors out there. Sure. Um, and, you know, honestly, anyone that's successful at what they do, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't mean that money guarantees corruption or that money uh, in and itself is a, is a sign of, of that. Sure. Um, it is a tool. It is a tool. And unfortunately, like the nature of all tools, we have people that are going to take them and figure out how to create destruction, how to create better war machines, how to, and people that are going to take it and use something else. Um, with a million dollars, I would probably found a uh, rehabilitation house for the homeless. Uh, I would, you know, deal with um, shelter animals. I mean, there's things I would do because I live a minimalistic life. The pathway that is necessary, the pathway to ascension, the pathway to truth, the clear route, not taking the razor's edge, but actually uh, defragmenting distractions away from your life, it costs very little. And unfortunately, when people spend this modern existence working for their car, working for Hollywood, working for their next addiction, it's going to inhibit their ability, their time, and their resources to apply towards something that's actually going to benefit them. Uh, but we're not trained for that, and we're not programmed for that, and our society does not encourage that. Um, it's a very consumeristic society. And we are all consumers. We're all consuming organisms. 
Um, but we also have a brain and that brain, and I don't mean the mind, that brain carries certain, uh, programming, certain aspects of human condition that there are people out there that have done nothing with their lives, but try to perfect an understanding of and learn how to influence and learn how to manipulate. And they apply it to every pop music, every advertisement, the colors that are chosen to represent whatever. Uh, these these things have been scientized and and you know they've they've been perfected. Um, so you know someone's asking about mind control. Mind mind control is all around us. Um, you know if if you're talking about someone that comes up with some kind of box. And they figure out, well, if we get this bass string to vibrate this certain frequency, then it produces these kind of waves. And, it then, you know, there's been people that do nothing but receive money and grants to do these experiments. Um, but, you know, I mean, what what are you going to do with that information? And, you know, and I don't mean people out there. I mean, what is an individual? What is one of your listeners going to do with that? Are they going to spend the rest of their their day trying to figure out all the things out there that could possibly be taking place or that could be, would be, should be grieving things that can't be? Uh, or are they going to actually take responsibility, you know, assume the ability to respond to their life and create something that's going to happen. And so, yeah, even with these, the, the Goetia, all these, I mean, you want a blanket statement. Every one of my quote unquote colleagues or, or, you know, predecessors, peers, whatever you have it, anyone who's reducing Sumerian magic to a series of demonology or some kind of sigil based conjuring system. Yeah, that's crap. I mean, I, I don't have to worry about saying that. That's I, I can easily say that. That's and fine. Sam, Go I ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. And so, and and so, yeah. Of course, they're paying for them. People are they're getting better and better too. I mean, every month I see another new leather bound golden box, got all kinds of fancy sigil artwork and symbols all over it. Book being pushed out to the underground for someone to spend more money on somebody's fantasy. And by fantasy, I don't mean unreal. I mean somebody's fantasy. We are creating. We are all conscious creators. And uh, <laughs> some people get people to uh, assist them in their creations for their own personal gain. And uh, that's that's just how it is. <laughs> Understood. It's okay. Yeah, it's not against the law to uh, do that sort of practice whatsoever. Uh, and you see lots of it now <laughs> online. Plenty of individuals out there who have gone very, very popular over the years. And as we go on to other subjects here, but before we do, I just wanted to quickly ask you, uh, really quickly here, um, you know, you have spent most of your life studying the Sumerians and all these ancient cultures. What what has kept you so focused on all this, Joshua? Well, I guess it boils down to this wide-encompassing uh angle of view that I would say I've been cursed with. I would say it's a blessing, but it seems more like an obligation. <laughs> um, it's the ability to see all the things at once almost as a quantum, uh, a quantum continuum of all times and places on this planet and its interactions holistically with each other, not little gears working just within a specific clock, but an entire mechanistic system that, that's operating in totality. This has basically forced me to constantly look at 
the origins of it, the original semantics, the way that these things unfolded. It hasn't been popular, and it hasn't always been colorfully interesting to other people around me. But um, the bottom line is, once you've you know partaken in this, uh, I guess, ambrosia or elixir, you know, of truth of the gods, going back to an old pattern of of bitter wines and beers just to socialize or fit in or, or, or seem normal in society made absolutely zero sense to me. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people thought this was a phase. I mean, I have been doing this since I was 12. I did this through high school. I operated covens and study groups through high school. Um, I was married once for seven years. Uh, this kind of focus on this is what I need to do even dissolved that marriage. Um, you know, that happens. Uh, it's, 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 uh, say that again. I said that happens. Oh yes. Um, and it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not for, for, you know, individuals are following a path and there's a certain point when, um, it's incompatible, you know, but the interesting thing even there is I could say, you know, yeah, that happens, naughty da, and life goes on, people would accept it. The stranger parts, and these are, I mean, there's stranger parts to every single aspect of, you know, the, the, the whole lifetime I've had here. Right. Um, you know, my ex-wife was, you know, basically visited in her dreams by Anunnaki telling her, you know, I and mean, this is what she told me. I'm not, this isn't my empirical knowledge of it. Sure, sure. But um, she's like, yeah, they don't want me with you. You're, you know, you're on your own path and, you know, it, this isn't going to work. So, you know, yes. and I don't know what actually transpired in that respect. All I know is it was the end of a thing and the beginning of a new thing, because that same year was 2008. And that same year is when the Mardukites officially launched. Um, so, um, you know, and, and it's not to say that it's uh, a series of uh, a game of bed knobs and broomsticks or, or hocus pocus. Um, but there have been enough confirmations in my life. Uh, people that shouldn't know what they know, people that have no reason to say the things they say or, you know, things of that nature where I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I get it. Uh, this is, uh, this, I'm, you know. This is well, not everyone is genuine. No, no, not many people are genuine these days. Well, and that's, Sadly. that's part of it. And I think that's the thing that shines through um, the reason, you know, that we have even sustained. We are continuously growing as a movement, albeit we've been informal thus far. Um, but the thing that separates us from all the others at this juncture and what I can uh, honestly put forth and say is all of our resources have gone into sustaining the actual true fundamentals and the development of the organization. We have spent zero dollars, zero recovered, donated, or any otherwise obtained dollars in the last 11 years on marketing. Now, I'm not saying this doesn't need to change, but this is one of the reasons why things are the way they are. Absolutely. You um, definitely need to. My... You definitely <laughs> need, you got to advertise nowadays. So what what we've been what we've emphasized for the last 10 years is basically a very organic methodology of reaching people, which is the only reason even you or I are talking or the only reason why, you know, these books continue to reach people. Right. Is that people have have rather than it being pushed down to the public like all these other ones that, you know, I'm competing with, I guess, or, or, or whatnot as far as attention, rather than it being pushed down as here's it is in your face, in your face, in your face since its inception, 
it is continuously grown around the globe because people have actually looked at it, examined it, used it, and been like, hey, buddy, you should check this out. And that is, I think, the more important uh, part of its survival and longevity rather than trying to push out uh, some limited printing of 500 leather-bound sigil-based grimoires. Uh, and, 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 some, and there's no some shortage paying their bills for the next couple months. And then, you know, right. when that money's out, well, they got to crunch out another set of these crazy grimoires. And that's not to say they're not valid. But one of the things I learned, <laughs> I wasn't, I don't even think I was legally an adult yet. One of the things I learned about sigils and grimoires and all that spiritual entity stuff was that, uh, in, in, in back in the nineties, even, um, you, you can fragment, uh, the universal consciousness in an infinite number of ways. You can get it to communicate with you. You can give it a persona. You can get it to isolate itself as a name and even inspire a sigil. But that doesn't mean it's going to get you anywhere. And you could produce thousands and millions of these, and, and this spirit's going to do this, and this spirit's going to do that. And it's really an exercise in futility when it comes to personal development and also an enslavement to yet another system that, you know, there's this pantheon of demons just lingering there waiting to be at your beck and call. And, you know, these individuals think that they're in control of them. They're not. Um, they think that, you know, that using some kind of blasting rod and coercing spiritual entities that could completely nuke your brain if they wanted to, uh, you know, into somehow being, you know, believing they're in control of the situation. It's just ludicrous. Understood. And, you know, honestly, there have been magicians. I mean, that's nothing new. There have been magicians doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Long time. Um, yeah. So, you know, and are they, you know, are they necessarily being untruthful? No, I probably, I mean, I, they probably did have these experiences and exchanges and communications with, you know, fragmented aspects of whether it's their own consciousness or some other entity. Um, but one of the first times I realized that was uh, when I realized, uh, you know, because you asked about Mesopotamia. Sure. That's the original paradigm. Now, we've gotten all kinds of cultures and interpretations and languages and names and, and pantheons since then. But they were all basically based on that same original source paradigm. And, and so when, I, when, I, when I'm looking at the Keys of Solomon and I see Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth, okay, this is a deity, this is a demon, though, supposed king of the demons that was masculinized, by the way, turned into a masculine deity to be the leader of the demons that some rabbinical early Christian church decided to pervert the original aspect of Inanna Ishtar into, okay? So Inanna Ishtar, this basically almost all-powerful uh, Venusian goddess of Mesopotamian that appears as Aphrodite, appears as Isis, she freaking she encompasses the whole world. So suddenly, because we are in that Hebrew Judeo-Christian paradigm, we have Ashtoreth, who's been fragmented as a personality of Ishtar, as this male leader of the demons to basically complete some, some you know, some fractionized interpretation of, of ancient demonology through Jewish eyes, you know, and, and it's successful. And there's an entity there, and people are communicating it. Dude, that right there told me there's something wrong with all this. Okay, so, um, yeah. <laughs> there's another individual <laughs> you know? who just passed 
by the name of Tracy Twyman, and she's been a guest here before, <laughs> long time ago, and she recently passed. Rest in peace to her. And one of the things... I am uh-huh. very sorry to hear that. You are the first person to bring this to my attention. Really? I thought you would have heard by now. Tracy Twyman and I lost contact. Tracy Twyman and I used to be very good friends. Tracy I understand. Tracy Twyman and I yes. sat in the same room together smoking weed. That's how well I, I know. know Tracy Twyman. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, we, I, we talked about this. I, I didn't know you didn't know that, my friend. I thought you heard. I tell you, I here's the thing. Although I encourage other people to journey, to look into, to explore, to be open, to live their lives, I have to be under a rock to do what I do these days. I'm hoping that changes over the next few years, but I am not currently, because the few people I was involved with at one juncture very closely have kind of gone their way or, as you say, passed away. Sure. This is now the second. Um, Everyone that I have known connected to the original Dragon Court has passed away, and they have all passed away. These are people my age, uh, for whatever reasons that may be. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, Tracy was actually my, uh, when I spoke before that I knew someone that was connected to Peter Lavenda, that would be Tracy Twyman. I see. Um, I don't advocate, um, everyone else's perspectives. We all have different ones, but Tracy was the first person that was in the field already to acknowledge me and try to help see if they could do anything to get me a little bit more vocal. Tracy Twyman was the one that contacted George Norrie six times, and he was like, no, we're not putting him on our show. Wow. That's <laughs> incredible. So, I never yeah, knew no, that. Um, that's, not, that's not unrelated at all. But yeah. unfortunately, I cut you off, and I don't know how that related to what you were to, about to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, she was, she wrote a book, I'm forgetting the name of the book, but she was apparently contacting Baphomet. I was just curious your take on all of that. And maybe if she had talked to you about any of those sort of sessions. She did. Um, Interesting. And she she contacted uh, that actually came up in the very beginning of our relationship because we were actually it was her at the time. uh, She was with a guy uh, named Brian um, and. Uh, Brian, or I don't know that they were officially married, but they had been together since high school, so they might as well have been. Um, he was the one involved with all the graphic work, mm. and she was involved with the publishing work. They actually were responsible for releasing uh, my first, uh, it was actually only a portion of the Necro Bible, but the original, my Necronomicon, uh, edited by Joshua Free. I mean, four more volumes were eventually added. Uh, well, actually, seven, six more volumes were added to make the Anunnaki Bible. But um, and she contributed a forward to that um, that dealt with the divine right of kings and um, Lovecraftian mythos and whatnot. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly. I, I've been an honorary member of her organization since its inception. Um, uh, Ordo lapsed at Excellus, and um, I'm still shocked. I'm the first. Me, I'm I'm shocked. I'm the first person that told you that, man. I'm sorry. That's okay. As I say, we haven't been in communication for some time. I mean, I wish nobody suffering, but there's, you know, I'm not going. To, I, I'm not going to grieve over this. It's right, just right. that, uh, you know, it's 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 shocking. It to is. Know. It is. Yeah. Uh, because as I said, in my longevity, I've already seen a lot come and go. 
um, and that would be one of them. Um, she launched publicly around 2004, and it was sad because previously, a couple years before that, we both occupied the same town. Uh, we were both resided in the same town without knowing each other, knowing anything about each other at the time. Um, but uh, um, so yeah, I know she was very deeply involved with Baphomet. Uh, however. I don't know to what extent that channel is clear because I'm very cautious when I get involved with anyone that's using a specific entity or, or anything of that nature. The one thing I can tell you, um, you know, and I, I don't feel weird about it being that, you know, she's passed now and whatnot, as far as I feel and as far as I, you know, would understand it as, I mean, an intimate, as intimate as a friend without dating somebody. Sure. Uh, she was very serious about all of that information. And as far as the, you know, she her, was, yeah. that was all very valid, very real and, 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 and so forth. Yeah. I've asked her behind, um, I've, so, I've asked her privately how deeply she really is involved with this. And if she really is genuine with what she says and yeah. I believed her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why we were such good friends. We may not have necessarily, you know, been on the same alignment or current or point in our journey, but you know, she was, she was real. And uh, one of the things I did like about um, her approach was that she really wasn't trying to share that part with anybody. She wasn't writing grimoires. She wasn't writing spell books. She wasn't trying to be like, here's how you can contact Baphomet. And here's this little like, you know, club for if you want to try, um, you know, and so that that in turn, you know, gave me a respect for her and why we work so well together. Um, for the time that there was a brief point where her organization and mine overlapped that we considered them aligned with each other and the same with uh, Nicholas DeVere's Dragon Court. Um, now, by the way, I'm, I'm so, sorry to interrupt you, but the name of the book that I was referring to earlier is Clock Shavings. Okay. And that's that's the funny thing is I know she just, and that was why I was shocked, is uh, after basically not really publishing much of anything, she had just recently released several things. And, yeah. um, you know, our only real negative involvement involved, again, the politics in, in the Necronomicon. Um, but because of, uh, I, I basically chalked it up to uh, my tithing to the Dragon Court and to the the, the higher organization that would, uh, you know, assist me, I guess, uh, metaphorically. I mean, we all kind of take the hits at some point. Right. Because um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the royalties that were generated from that first hardcore, hardcover Necronomicon that her company was responsible for, it didn't necessarily make it my way. I see. Um, and, Bummer. And uh, following the death of Nicholas DeVere, she was also um, basically the one that was carrying the rights for all of his books. So Dragon Legacy, Dragon Seed, any of his works um, were kind of going through. So I think that's kind of what helped uh, develop it. I was mostly concerned. Uh, there was a period in 2012 when the, I thought the Dragon Court and her and a lot of different people were going to start making some strides. Nicholas DeVere uh, passed away from questionable circumstances, and um, within months, uh, Tracy's significant other, uh, Brian, passed away from uncertain circumstances. Wow. Within, within four weeks, she was getting remarried, and within a couple months of that, she was posting um, 
uh, uh, I want to say ultraviolet. That's not the word. Um, picture, uh, unborn baby pictures. I see. Um, the word escapes me. Uh, as far as uh, expecting a child, so I I just kind of backed away from the situation. Um, a lot of people were dying. A lot of controversy. And there's been nothing but controversy regarding that from the beginning. You know, Nicholas DeVere brought out so much information and kind of like myself, influenced freaking millions, if not more, uh, tens, hundreds. You know, anyone that's seen uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code, uh, whatever. Um, you know, these th- I've seen individuals, genuine individuals, ones that aren't well marketed, ones that aren't the ones that you're going to know. Uh, they have something. They basically get steamrolled. Their stuff gets uh, watered down, diluted, mass marketed uh, to the point that it's, oh, well, of course, that's the way it's been. And then it's no longer special anymore. And, you know, these people uh, die in poverty. Uh, Meanwhile, the people taking their stuff, the people doing whatever, the ones with the resources already to invest to to, to bring it out there, you know. Um, I saw it with Nicholas DeVere. Um, Nicholas DeVere produced a, a, when I was looking for the origins of Druidism, what brought me to Mesopotamia, there was only two people out there that agreed with, that were being published, that were out there open, you know, personas, that agreed with what I was already, like, understanding to be the case as truth, like, unarguably, and it was Nicholas DeVere and Tracy Twyman, okay? Wow. I I have been completely out, like, I have a druidic background, Uh, I've written several books on it that we're actually re-releasing as as the Draconomicon 25th Anniversary Edition, Druid's Handbook 20th Anniversary Edition, um, I have an Elven Fairy book coming out uh, that's not been announced yet in probably about a month. Um, that actually was the book that launched the Mardukites and bridged the Druidic work with Mesopotamia. And this is what actually got me oust from not only all the New Agers, but the Druid groups and the Mesopotamian side. And that was trying to bridge the link together. Now, sometimes they don't that want that to happen. Mesopotamia was the origin for druidry, for the occult system spreading, for everything that, and to actually pinpoint it and be like, this is how, and this is that, 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 I've been basically been laughed at, joked at, so on and so forth for almost a couple decades now proposing that opinion. And now here's the kicker. And that's why I say, you know, the, you know, sure and steady wins the race because this is a freaking endurance contest. It is. Just this April, just this April, the BBC headlines, you know, Stonehenge Builders uh, Origins Revealed. I saw that. And uh, yeah. Right. And so here it is. I mean, there's there's the clincher right there. Now we've got genetic evidence that what I've been saying for 20 years is the case, that these people developed Mesopotamia, they moved and restructured in Anatolia and brought this agricultural paradigm and mystical tradition across Europe. Well, now we got freaking genetic evidence for it. I didn't need it, but it seems like everybody else does. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's, uh, and, and so now that's, a, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, History books are not about to be rewritten, and it's not like someone's throwing me a parade, but, you know, there it is. I mean, it's whether it's overlooked or not, you know, people want to believe whatever, uh, it's been proven now. Yes. So everything that's kept that, you know, out from people or everything that's made me controversial or put me out, okay, well, now I got, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of, well, every carbon dating proves this, that, and the other. 
But, you know, it can't be that wild of a theory if there's even a general movement or motion toward that inclination that this is actually the case and not just my fantasy. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that end. Someone had asked a, a very basic question in the in the chat room, wondering why is the Sumerian stuff important to us in this era? And, well, I, I could answer that one, but Joshua, definitely go ahead and answer that one for us. Well... You know, we're we we are sitting, you know, occupying these spaces with these the these psyches that are completely linked to what we know to be the case. Okay, what we know to be true, uh, and and we will find our brains are wired so that no matter what we know to be the case, we will undoubtedly find many confirmations for that to be the case. Okay, well, even just knowing that, it should make us stop and reflect on what we believe we know to be the case. Uh, because we, we've become a society of political correctness and diversity, and we want to be accepting, and we want to incorporate everything in information age. Let's just put it all out there. Okay, but there's, a, there's an origin behind this. Okay, and, and there's an old game that, that school kids played. I think I played it at summer camp once. They sit around in a circle, and one person passes a message to the ear of the person next to them. Oh, yes. And they pass it, and they pass it, and they pass it. And by the end, it's some convoluted gobbledygook with no real—and and it may very well be a real statement. That person may believe that's what they heard, but it's not necessarily any closer to the truth of the original statement. And what we have done since Mesopotamia is try to get back to that source. Uh, you know, the Sumerians themselves, you know, the Sumerian, what we call Sumerian, that's become kind of a blanket statement. It's actually a little bit of a misnomer. Um, you know, the Sumerians didn't even call themselves Sumerians. Sumer was the name of a southern region. Correct. In what yes. we call in what we call Mesopotamia. There was also a cut. Even the word Mesopotamia, that is a Greek word that means land between two rivers. That is not what the Mesopotamians called themselves. So just in the spread of what we are using to classify this information, we are already starting to confuse what we believe we know. Okay, now let's talk about the academic pursuit of it. Well, the academic pursuit of all ancient Near Eastern cultures, Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian, Assyrian, uh, Hittite, uh, Canaanite, it's called Assyriology. Okay, Assyriology. Okay, Assyrians was one culture. They weren't even one of the oldest cultures. Okay, they, uh, they, they emerged slightly later. And the only reason we call this field Assyriology is because when in the early 1850s, when they were excavating all this stuff, they happened to find Ashura bin Apples. Uh, uh, the the royal libraries in Nineveh, and the majority of these tablets were all written in Assyrian. And therefore, the whole pursuit of cuneiform study and all cuneiform literature became called Assyriology. Okay, so these are just blanket examples. And someone hearing it might say, okay, so what? But these statements, these names, these labels, these definitions that we apply to them, this is how we understand all of it. And and these are these are statements that even in themselves are very gray and vague unless they are clearly pinpointedly this is a Syrian this is this this is that um, and and so you know what we have is uh, you know a very convoluted science of of trying to understand all this stuff now why is it important because this is where it all began 
And if we can't figure this out, we're not going to understand it from Nordic mythology. We're not going to understand it from the the Greek hermetic sciences. We're not going to understand anything down there at the Mayan temples if we can't understand what these things mean to begin with. Because these symbols and, and these icons and representations, does, the whole point of a symbol is to represent something in the absence of a solid or in the absence of something. So when we go, oh, well, so what? And we go, well, you know, well, then what does any of it mean? Because if we're going to be that wishy-washy yes. about how we're classifying these things, then all of the invented knowledge we have thereafter means nothing. Yes, the Sumerians um, responsible for writing government irrigation and so many more inventions the Sumerians are uh, given credit for. Oh, even the language, the even language. the language. Right. You look at the language of the word prison, okay? The word prison, it, that we would say prison, in Sumerian language, it's the cuneiform sign for big and the cuneiform sign for house, okay? So what we call prison or we translate as prison for scholars today, is the words big and house. And let me tell you something. I was talking to someone a couple months ago, and to this day, we refer to jail as the big house. Indeed. There are so many hidden little, you know, in, you know, cons- you know little intri- you know, intricate aspects of, of what we just take for granted. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's basically, you know, that's what has to change. Is it is it important for everybody? Yes. Is everybody going to get it? Probably not. But what's important is for those that are trying to self-actualize, that are trying to get to the next point, are on the path of ascension, for them to obtain clear understanding of these things. Yes, and Joshua, uh, just... Because, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Joshua. I cut you well, off there. Because without that, for sure, we're going to end up in, like I say, a library full of data that we can spend the rest of our lifetime pilfering through and and we're not going to get there. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. We definitely will not decipher it correctly. And that's one of the many issues that people have with Zachariah Sitchin. They say he did not translate those uh, texts accurately. Uh, are you under that notion as well, Joshua? Well, like I was saying before, everyone that goes into something knowing something they're going to find things that validate what they believe to know to be the case. I don't believe that they're always looking to mislead or misguide people, per se. The issue we do have with something, for example, like cuneiform languages, is that while it might have been very clear to the people using them, it's us later looking back that is confused. And so, uh, you know, things like that, uh, you know, for example, the word for God and the word for star and the word for planet and the word for heaven in cuneiform original Sumerian language was all on the word on. So, you know, that leads us to have to apply, okay, well, in this reference, it might mean this and reference it might mean that, um, I can't say that I haven't myself been guilty of finding things that seem to confirm what I've gone out to look for, especially in establishing the the Babylonian tradition. 
I mean, I have been working to establish the reconstruction of something in the past decade that is not existent out there. There's all kinds of druidry. There's all kinds of alternative paths. There's all kinds of versions of Wicca. If you want to be Wicca, you can find Norse Wicca, Celtic Wicca. Uh, you know, there's African Wicca. It, but what I have been doing has been reconstructing at least in a, in a modern, understandable sense, Mesopotamian neo-paganism in a way that has not been done. Uh, what has been done is people have taken some blanket concept like Wicca and decided, well, let's call Inanna along with Diana and Isis and Aphrodite, and let's see how many possible you know, mythological names we can shove into our tradition because we're pagans and we're going to, you know, mythology, mythology, mythology. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen every extreme in every direction, and those are the people that stay with that. It never goes beyond that point, um, and it never leads as a means to anything else. It's simply, well, you know, this is what I'm doing, and I'm satisfied in this point, which is good for them. Um, there's another type of individual out there that knows that they are here to be on a path to ascension, to get a self-honest, clear experience of reality, to be able to learn cosmic law and how these energies affect everything around us and how to work with them and manipulate them. And that is inherent in these tablets as well. It shows a clear understanding of that and that these ancients understood that you know, in addition to everything else, but it's not going to be understood uh, by them literally, you know, these culture or uh, contemporary uh, scholars that are looking at it. They're, they're coming from a Judeo-Christian background. They're using, you know, today's paradigm and today's uh, semantics to understand it. And they're looking at it scholarly or academically, um, basically on a premise that these are ancient people with primitive understandings and totally, you know, uh, completely oblivious to the true physics of what's happening in the world. And that's the kind of literature and, and scholarly material that we have. Um, if you're not finding Mardukite books, then you're finding these other scholarly books that are basically just that. And, you know, that's pretty dry for most people. And that's going to lead to more questions like, why is this relevant? Because this is a bunch of fragmentary, broken clay stuff with names and stuff that I don't understand. I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. I got by, you know, and then that's the thing. Most people, either I got by 20, 40, 50 years without understanding it. Why do they need it? Um, but that's not everybody. Um, there's a certain type of class of people that does need that. Right. And that's what we make available. And so for that reason alone, it's not going to be the most popular because most people out there are looking for the stuff that you were describing of the yes. people that are out there selling the grimoires. And the, that's what they're used to. That's what they're programmed to accept and receive. And that's as far as they'll probably get on this point of their development. Yeah, they want and the more. Going to, they, want, yeah. They, they want the more romantic side of things, you know. They want it colorful. They want yes. it romantic. They want, you know, they they want stuff that's going to engage everything that they're programmed to be engaged to because if it's not that, it's going to be the television. It's going to be random garbage on the Internet. It's going to be whatever it is, and that's what they're going to participate in. That's what they're going to give their energy to. And then when they're 60, 70, 80 years old, they're frail and withered and going, what did I do with my life? Well, there you have it. That's why. I mean, you're either contributing to your own personal development, your own progression, preparing your 
your etheric body, yourself for the next development, progression, advancement, ascension, or you're going to get boggled down in the mundane crap. And I mean, it's not rocket science and this isn't that complicated, but the mind makes it so. And as soon as people get a glint of being able to like a shred of, oh my God, like maybe, well, then they, they erase that. They cover it up. Some bit of doubt comes in. Some other bit of programming just gets in the way, and they're just right back to where they are. So it's been, it's been a difficult task for me, and that's why a lot of my inner circle, a lot of my network, a lot of the people that I've worked with um, as, as, uh, as an alumni of the Mardukites or as a council to assist in the research, you know, these are people that have already gone through those steps. They've already, you know, worked things down uh, you know, certain programs and whatnot that run in the mind, you know, sometimes we have to run them down to zero. We need to negate them. We need to exhaust them. And then we might be able to get to the next point. Um, so there's a lot of exercises and procedures and processing and all kinds of things that can be done to do that. Um, but the premise is the same the world over. Amazing. Um, and Joshua, yeah. we, we definitely are running out of time here. I, I definitely sure. wanted to, you know, to be honest with you, I could talk to you for a whole nother hour here, but definitely don't want to keep you <laughs> we up. I want to make sure we have time for your, your the other next guests guest. on there tonight. And That's right. um, also be able to give people just enough to be able to, you know, digest it for a bit, let them mold about. I'm sure we can get back on at some point oh, in the yeah. future and, and continue. So we'll definitely have to do this again, no doubt. And I want you to uh, definitely give another uh, plug here, perhaps your your website or anything else coming up. The floor is yours, Joshua. Go ahead. For sure. Um, you know, I mean, uh, on a practical level, for people that aren't able to access me on an individual level, know me in person, so on and so forth. Um, we do we do support our organization and its growth and the continued development by publishing. That much, yes, is the case. Uh, but we do it responsibly, and we have made a lot of materials available. Um, Mardukai.com is our main website, yes, that, that we operate. Um, most of those links will bring you to Amazon. Um, but we do have a lot of blogs to help, like, inform people in chunks as far as what the information is. Um, I also do very sporadic, um, you know, videos on YouTube to help introduce people as well. Um, so we do have a lot of materials available out there for people to, you know, pursue their independent study. Um, you know, as far as our organization, as far as being able to develop or work with us or um, uh, the, the more formal aspect of it, I simply ask to be patient. We're working on it. You know, we've really tried to focus more on the core material and its development and refinement the last decade than colorful, you know, degrees and titles and names and membership cards and whatnot. But we understand that that's also an integral part of involving the total self in in this pursuit. So we're, we're working towards that as well. But yes, in the meantime, there's a plethora of information out there um, that we've made available. Uh, folks like yourself, uh, Michael, have been able to right. allow me to to bring that, you know, to people as far as even just noticing it. Because, like I said, if this wasn't genuine, if this wasn't out to make, you know, to evolve the world into the next level of its evolution and the fight, the transhumanistic external mechanistic way, which is going to be the undoing of humanity. And that's that's what we're basically out here doing. If you want to break it down 
humanity is at the cusp of an evolution. We're either going to be uploading our consciousness and shoving it in robots and doing all this crazy external stuff and losing our spirit in the process, or we're going to achieve with spiritual technologies and with other types of information, our true spiritual personal evolution of the self to get us to the next point. And that right there is the underlying point of what I'm trying to do. Amazing. That's Mordecai.com. And you can find all his information there. That's Joshua free and always an honor and pleasure to talk to you, Joshua. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much fun. It's a pleasure to be able to reach some of your guests and whatnot. I have my own networks and social circles, but it's always about trying to reach more people you know, this isn't some kind of infectious disease. Right. It's just, this is, if we can get the shift happening with the majority of the people and, and getting their minds changing, getting their energy changing, getting them to be conscious creators of a better world, we might actually have a chance. Otherwise, the future, the, the biological future of, of humanity and Earth is looking pretty bleak. I'm try, I've tried very hard for this session not to be this apocalyptic harbinger of doom. It sometimes but, is. You know, this is an imperative thing for people to to uh, take control of their own existence, their life, to right. get back to a point of centered, self-honest, the I am, and be directing themselves as self and not running around as, as robots. We've already got us trying, we're already trying to get people out of being robots, and they're trying to shove us right back right into back. Them. So it's, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, did you have fun, Joshua? Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure talking to you, sir. It's, uh, it inspires me to articulate things in a new way or try and uh, communicate certain key points. Um, because honestly, this work was laid out 10 years ago. Uh, people are going to go back to work, you know, in the future. And they're going to be like, look, you, you know, you, you said this back and blah, 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 blah. It's the thing that we're refining more and more now is understanding where the priority lies and, and where our, our focus needs to be. And so we're, it's getting more and more refined all the time. Amazing. So, oh, yes. Okay, Joshua, thank you so much, my friend. And I'm, I'll you. talk to you again in the very near future, my friend. Good night. Absolutely. I, you have a great evening. Be safe. Bye now. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Free, a great guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. I could talk to him all night, to be completely honest with you. We barely scratched the surface here. So much to talk about as usual. And now it is that time to go on a little break. And of course, when we return, Lee Austin is here, live and direct. We will be talking the Flat Earth and so much more. Stay tuned. Mike and Montclair. What's up, Mike? Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach that is closed to the entire world except you. Yeah. You put your fat ass in a car and go to hey. one that's open to all your constituents. Uh, well, you know. Not just you and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That What's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike, I love I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in, in Montclair. Montclair. You know, You're a bully, you Governor, are, no, no, and I don't what? like bullies. You know what? And listen, I'm not the one who came on the air. Hey, hold on, Mike. Mike, I'm not the guy who came on the air, swore on the air, and so you did. I, 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 get the heck out yeah, of here. You know, you're swearing on the air, Mike. You're, you're, you're a bum. You know, so you let's so let's just go, go, but, oh bad optics, okay? Mike. And I'd love to come look at your optics every day, buddy. Oh, that's you know what, and you know what, Mike. What matters is what you do. And welcome back to the program. So good to see you. 
all of you out there, wherever you are, I hope you are doing well. And I hope it's not too hot, unlike it is here in the desert. We are seeing triple digits here. And you know, that means it's really hot in here. Oh yeah, I am hating it. So I hope all of you are doing well and I hope you're cold, very cold out there. It's pretty goddamn hot in here. Hopefully you don't find yourself in a hot, closed environment like myself right now. Now, I believe my next guest is ready, and he's been here before. He is also a former broadcaster known for his talk show, Outcast Radio. And Lee, what's going on? Not too much. It's great to be back. Uh, I love doing this in the middle of the evening or morning, depending on what you consider it. But it just seems like the perfect time to go down the rabbit hole once again. Oh, yes. And of course, you are the author of the book Morning Stars Tell, a sci-fi novella covering many topics that you once discussed on your own talk show, Outcast Radio. And of course, we did talk a little bit about that last time you were here. But definitely, there there are plenty of new souls out there that will join us here tonight. So I thought we might as well go over your background just a bit here before we jump headfirst down the rabbit hole. Sure. I've been in radio for about 30 years, worked all over the country, Northeast, Florida, Texas, California, Oregon. and You've been around. Back, yeah, I've been around the block. And in, in 2007, I started doing my first conspiracy show uh, on a 50,000-watt station in East Texas. And, and from there, I moved uh, over to Austin and did a national show for a couple of years. And I, I don't know what happened. About six months before... I was asked to leave. I started talking about Flat Earth, became absolutely obsessed with it because I didn't believe in it. I thought Flat Earth was insane, as most people should first time they hear it. But every night I, I got on the radio and it veered into that topic. And eventually the owner of the network said, you got to stop talking about Flat Earth. And I said, no. And that was the end of that. And after that, I wrote the book, which took about a year. And for about the last 10 months, I've been promoting the book. And again, Morningstar's tale is actually narrated by Lucifer in that I knew that what I was going to talk about was so insane that I thought I'm going to let all of the criticism default to the father of lies. So the question is, if the father of lies decides to start telling the truth, Maybe it is the truth because he knows you're not going to believe him anyway. It takes the pressure off of me. I'm not just some nut guy with a tinfoil hat. It's actually Lucifer telling you that the earth is in fact flat and a few other nuggets throughout the book. I still can't believe you got fired from your gig over the flat earth. It's hard to believe, isn't it, Michael? It's it's, not it's like ridiculous. It's the most controversial subject on the flat earth. But I could believe it happening though. That's the that's the the reality. Well, the reality is I had a lot of listeners. It was a very popular show. It was on in the evening, and we had talked a little bit about uh, Mark Sargent during our uh, conversation before I came on tonight. And actually, Mark was a guest of mine about 30 days before I got fired, and we were, you know, again talking about the flat Earth. But apparently, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, even in conspiracy <laughs> circles, those that are the most, some of the most adamant people against the flat Earth are in the conspiracy uh, club, which surprised me at the time, but it really doesn't anymore. And maybe that can kind of tail into what we were going to talk about that there's actually a fringe within the fringe. Oh, yes. A fringe within the fringe. And that's one thing I did ask you about the last time you were here, the documentary 
Behind the Curve, very popular on Netflix with our friend Mark Sargent. Now, you said you've interviewed him before. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. How did that interview go? Ah, uh, well, you know, I'm still, no, sure. I, I'm still I, I'd a skeptic. Like to know. I mean, I, I didn't hear it. I, I'd like to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm your, telling your you. Take on it. I found him interesting, but there's some things in there that didn't really seem uh, too genuine about intent. Let's just put it that way. I don't know why I felt that way, but I did, and I didn't dislike him at any sort of a on any sort of a personal level, not at all. But in terms of what he was talking about, in terms of the flat earth and what he was trying to do, I wasn't too sure if he was being genuine with it or not. But he has brought uh, plenty of attention towards the subject, so I do give him credit for that. I don't mean to discredit him here uh, in that regard. Well, there are those that also have accused Alex Jones, and, and even he's allegedly admitted that it's a character that he plays on the radio. Correct. Are you are you alluding to the fact that perhaps he saw a an opportunity with this particular subject to maybe make a buck or get a bit of notoriety? Ah, uh, well, that's another thing. He could be juicing it, as they say in the business. Controlled opposition? Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not. I, I can't say that for per se. It's just something that I had in mind. It is strange, and I don't. It's a little unusual. A, I don't have an opinion on it. I, I do have an opinion on behind the curve. Yes, let, uh, let's get into beyond that. it. Yeah, it. it we, we were, you know, discussing via email. I had the impression it was more of a carnival atmosphere, and they did more harm than good for the movement. And I have made a concerted effort not to attach myself to any flat Earth conferences or any other flat earth individual the book is pretty much a standalone it's only 80 pages long but but it uh numerates exactly why i believe the earth is flat but it does it in black and white it does it simply without any hyperbole or exaggeration it is a book that is based on the book of enoch both books of enoch the bible uh some esoteric occultic literature and it's kind of all mixed into a blender and presented by Lucifer. But I do believe right. the book is an accurate depiction of what our universe and especially the Earth looks like and how it functions. But when you see these documentaries like Beyond the Curve, I think it does more to discredit the idea that the, the Earth is flat. And it's really not about a movement. It's about an individual revelation. And are he, you going to pursue it or yeah. are you not? And when you do, you should really be adamantly against it. And Liam, and, I'm just wanting to quickly say, so you finally did get a, a chance to see it come in its entirety, correct? I did not see it in its entirety. I did see parts, parts of it. Of I it, had okay. a hard time, okay. uh, shall we say, enduring it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you for feeling that way. I actually watched, I rewatched it just the other day just to refresh my memory of Mark Sargent and uh, Mark Sargent and friends, I should say. You know, it, it did have that sort of carnival feel to it once, once I did see it again. The, the issue I have with the flat earth movement is the same issue I have with disclosure in UFOs. It seems to attract, and again, I'm not saying anything to disparage anyone. Sure. But it, it, it seems to, to attract those on the fringe. And again, this is the fringe within the fringe. You get a lot of wackos 
that will do more harm than good. And they move away from the empirical evidence to prove that the earth is flat. And they get into the hysterics and the carnival presentation. And what happens is it becomes personality over substance. And and that's the problem I see, especially with the flat earth movement, that it's become a movement of personalities as opposed to a movement with empirical evidence and factual, uh, provable physical evidence that the earth is indeed flat. And it seems to gravitate towards the individual presenting the information as opposed to the information, which should be more important than the person, than the person presenting it. I agree with you 100% on that. And yes, it seems to be much more about the personalities behind it. And Netflix chose Mark Sargent. Very interesting choice. He seemed to be up in the forefront of it all. Well, and the other guy, I forget his name. He lives in Thailand. 200 proofs. Yeah, there was another guy. That's true. Yeah, I'm tr- I can't, now I can't remember his name. But there's been a few people. Another guy is uh, Rob Skiba. I had a chance to interview him on my radio show. He's nice. a big yeah. proponent of uh, the flat earth. There's a few of them out there. I, I, You know, again, just my own opinion, I think it's become personality over substance, and that has diminished from the credibility of the message. There's someone in the chat mentioning Eric Dubay. And that's someone else that I we're jumping around here, but that is a personality as well who has been pretty dominant and being in the forefront as well. Eric Dubay. And Eric Dubay is the guy from Thailand. Yes, yes, Eric Dubay. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been out there for sure for a while now, and he's someone who says that dinosaurs never existed. That's what he claims. I have developed a very unusual theory on dinosaurs in the last six months. Really? You want oh, to hear it? no. Did you, did you go down the rabbit hole too? <laughs> Are you telling <laughs> me that dinosaurs never existed, Lee? No, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to say they did exist, but how did they come about is this idea that I've had in the last six months we talk a little bit, and maybe your previous guest also talked about the uh, the Nephilim a little bit. Oh yes, about the about the idea. And you talk the, about that in your book. Yeah, there's a, an entire chapter called the Nephilim. Yeah. And if the listener isn't familiar, the Dark Angels, two hundred of them came down on Mount Hermon, had sex with women, created a hybrid race of Nephilim, which are half angel, half man, and that's the reason the ancient of days flooded the earth because the seed had been corrupted. But about six months ago, I began to give it a little more thought, and I thought, not only does the Book of Enoch talk about uh, the angels having sex with women, creating the Nephilim, but those Nephilim actually having sex with animals and creating chimeras, which are a mix of hybrids. Yeah, they're another hybrid. Mm -hmm. But think about this. What if a Nephilim were to have sex with, say, an elephant or a rhinoceros? Or some other large animal. Sure. What would that animal look like? Hmm. And would it mutate into a dinosaur? Interesting. I never really okay. gave it a lot of thought until I went back and reread the Book of Enoch. Especially the second book, The Secrets of the Book of Enoch. This idea that the Nephilim had sex with animals to create chimeras. But if they had sex with very large animals... Could that, in fact, started the breeding process that led to the creation of the dinosaurs? I wouldn't rule it out if we go down that sort of path. You know, I'm skeptical of everything, but uh, I, I'm, I keep an open mind towards all these sort of things. 
You never know. It is interesting. It, it, it's absolutely fascinating. And and the one thing that I don't understand is why people are so resistant to all of it, whether it's the Nephilim, the moon landing. Some people get pissed off as soon as you start going down the whole moon landing, the everything that we're talking about here tonight. It, it's going to make someone angry, Lee. Oh, absolutely. By default. And, and, and I don't blame them because think about it. We've all been indoctrinated since kindergarten. What's the first thing you see the first day of kindergarten? You see a globe. A globe, yeah. And not only does NASA own the moon, they own space. Who else goes up into space besides NASA and maybe Elon Musk? They pretty much own it, so they dictate the story. And as far as I'm concerned, it's all one big work of fiction. Oh, Lee, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off, but going back to... uh, the book of Enoch and the Nephilim. I also wanted to mention the work of Zachariah Sitchin. Do you believe his work was accurate or do you think he didn't quite get those translations correct? I asked the He's previous the one, guest. The, the, the ancient astronaut theory, the ancient God, that's what he wrote. Yeah, a lot of those. A yeah. lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read, I've heard of him, but his idea, I think, more ties into panspermia, and that the idea I that see. the architects, the great architects, came down to Earth, seeded the planet, and created us. Is that kind of in line with what he believes? Or I'm not sure he? if he believes that per se. I think he believes the other route of the Sumerian way of, of their um, their tell of origin but I'm I'm more of, of someone who subscribes to panspermia, to be honest. I believe in certain forms of evolution, and, and you, I believe you don't at all believe in evolution whatsoever. No, I don't. I'm That's a okay. Christian. With that, I don't fit into most Christian communities with of, these well, ideas that of course, I have. Because of course they're not. Very, they're very disturbing. So it's almost as if uh, I've become a bit of an island you know, it says to be in the world, but not of it. Okay, but I'm not even of the church. I actually kind of got kicked out of a home church a couple of months ago. You're like a heretic now. I am a heretic. That's <laughs> yes. what I want everyone to know. I Amazing. am a heretic. <laughs> so they were just, they got real mad at you. I just... Did you bring up the flat earth? What happened? Well, it wasn't the flat earth. It was um, some methodology. I see. And, and some, I guess... Uh, I. You know, Groucho Marx said he would never belong to a club that would have him as a member. Right. And and, and that is something that has followed me my entire life. It, it seems to be one of my character defects that whenever I get in a group and I realize that I'm in a group, I no longer want to be in that group because there's that hive mind mentality that I fear so much. That's scary, right? When you see it, it before your eyes. It is. And, and, it be, and it's so easy to get into a cult. And I don't mean a religious cult, but any kind of cult, a bowling club, uh, a knitting club. Political, religious. A, a political club. I mean, I, I don't belong. I have no political affiliation. I, I just don't belong and I don't fit. And I believe those qualifications allowed me to write this book because I didn't care really at the time how it would be received. I just felt like I had to write it, get it out and be done with it, because I just felt this compulsion to really explain what I thought was being revealed to me, how this whole place works. And I, and I stand by the book. You know, it's not, I know it's not 100% accurate, because we look in the mirrors of poor reflection. 
But I think most of that book, Morningstar's Tale, yeah. is accurate. I do believe that we live on a flat plane, and there's a dome above us, and there's an ocean above that, and that the stars are not stars, that in fact they're luminaries, bursts of light, and they're alive. I mean, there is so much crazy stuff in that book that I now believe it's hard to bring it up in everyday conversation. No, I'm with you on that. I don't exactly subscribe to the flat earth theory entirely, to be completely honest with you. And we, we talked about that last time, but again, I keep an open mind to it. There's some aspects that I find pretty unusual, just like the 1969 moon landing for one. It's interesting to me, the 10 months I've been promoting this book, that I'm getting a better reception from those in the world than from the Christian community. It, it, it's ironic that those that are not believers in many ways are more open in our searching of the truth than those that really have their own little box. Are you telling me a... that you're being judged, Lee? No. Okay. I thought they were not. judging you. I was going to say. No. I was getting scared and, here. And, and again, I'm not making a broad swipe against <laughs> the Christian community. I'm Understood. Saying, I know. I, I can't even go to church. I, I, I can't. I can't do it because I the, the idea of sitting down and listening to some guy talk for an hour and then he takes 10% of your money and you leave and they live in a tax free building on tax free property hey god needs that tax free car god needs that 10% i look through the bible and i go where is that where, where is this where is this i don't see any of this anywhere what, what, what is this and it's just accepted as the norm and it's the same thing with the moon landing here we come here we go July 20th, it'll be 50 years when Neil Armstrong stepped on the soundstage and said, this is one small step for man, one fictional leap for mankind. Yes, and the whole moon landing, I have a hard time believing we landed on the moon in 1969. We, we didn't. It, to me, it seems like we didn't have the techn technical capabilities to achieve such task, Lee, when you go back and you see the schematics of everything and you see the electronics that will be involved, you just have to sort of giggle a bit. And the proof is in the pudding. The uh, telemetry, which is the data, you know, that shows the rocket taking off, landing and coming back, all of that has been destroyed. NASA said the reason it was destroyed is they had to record something else over it. And then you have one of the uh, head guys for the organization saying, you know, he'd like to go back to the moon in a nanosecond, but he can't because all of that data was destroyed. This is the only time I can remember in modern history where technology is moving backwards, how 50 years ago we went to the moon, but now we can't. And in fact, our uh, illustrious leader, uh, one-dimensional Donald Trump, just fired an administrator with NASA because he thought he was moving too slow on getting man back on the moon in 2024, when in fact we were never there in the first time, which I thought was pretty funny in and of itself that a guy loses his job for not doing something that was never done in the first place. Yeah, lots of talk about going to the moon, going to Mars, doing this, doing that, space tourism by our friend Elon Musk. And Jeff Bezos now, who wants to get in the mix. Uh, what is your perception of all these things? They keep giving us dates, and then they keep pushing them, pushing them uh, back. That's well, kind of weird. They have to. They have to keep pushing them back. And after I wrote the book, Morningstar's Tale, some other stuff 
began to develop. In other words, my belief system, I'll just use the word evolved from even what I had written a couple of years ago. I've come to the conclusion that the reason man hasn't been to the moon and hasn't gone back to the moon is very simply because the moon isn't what we think it is. And this is my belief. The moon is not terra firma. It is not solid ground. In fact, the moon is a light. Just imagine a light with craters. And I don't know if we discussed this the last time I was on, but in the book of Enoch, and I believe this, that the moon and the sun are actually the same size and that the moon gets its light from the sun. The sun literally pours in a seventh of its light into the moon every month, and that accounts for the waxing and waning of the moon. But the moon itself is actually a light, and you can't land on a light. There is no surface to the moon. It's interesting in the um, in the album, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, you know, the lyric is, uh, there is no dark side, and there is no moon to land on. And the, the the other hard part to get your mind around is you look up in the sky and you see it, and it certainly looks like it has a surface, but it doesn't. It's actually translucent. And you can see the stars at certain times shining through the moon, which proves its, translu its translucent quality. So the belief I have is that the reason man hasn't gone to the moon is not because he can't get there. I believe we have rockets that can go to the moon because it's a lot closer. It's not 238,000 miles away. I actually only believe it's maybe 3,500 miles tops. But do you think we, we did it in 69 more specifically? No, no we, we, can't, we can't land on it because it's a light. Imagine a light bulb that doesn't have matter. Actually, the light, if you were to take a light and shine it on a wall, that actual light is the moon. It's not the wall it's shining on. It's a self it's not a self-illuminating disc because it gets its light from the sun, but illuminates, and it is a disc, but it is not a solid surface disc. And because it's not solid surface, it cannot be landed on. That's the problem with the moon. And I just want to ask you this one here. What would convince you that the Earth is not flat? A couple things. One is Antarctica. We have... Uh, scientists claiming they've been to the South Pole. In fact, the Book of Enoch talks about the fact that the ice wall, and if you believe in the flat earth, you believe there's an ice wall. Yes, the it ice is actually, wall. Yeah, it's 12 mm -hmm. strata. A single strata is 5,000 miles. So according to the Book of Enoch, again, and I believe this, 12 strata is 60,000 miles. So if you were to circumnavigate the ice wall and you know start at point A and go around it, it, it should be 60,000 miles. If it is, then that proves it's an ice wall and not a continent. If you go around Antarctica, the continent, as, as we've been told in the heliocentric theory, is actually nine, I think about nine to 11,000 miles around. So here's what I'm saying. Without even going up in a balloon or whatever you want to do to look at the alleged curvature, just have an expedition where you go around Antarctica you're either going around a continent of Antarctica, and it will register at about nine to 11,000 miles, which is heliocentric, that's the heliocentric Antarctica, or it'll be 60,000 miles, which is the geocentric Antarctica, which is not a continent at all, but a 200-foot-high ice wall that surrounds and holds in all of the oceans of the world. That's one way you can prove it without even having to do all of the other 
stuff. And the other is the Antarctic Treaty, which was initiated back in 1958. No one is allowed to fly over the South Pole. Why? I believe because there is no South Pole. So if someone like Trump or Branson or Elon Musk could get in a plane and just fly, let's say, from Tierra del Fuego to Cape Town over the South Pole, if they pop up on the other side, then the Earth is round, and I am disproved. The Earth is round. But they don't do any of those. By the way, that reminds me of Mike Hughes, if you recall, that gentleman who was trying to see and prove that the Earth was flat by going up in that rocket. And uh, he's lucky he didn't really hurt himself too badly there. Poor well, guy. And, and again, that's the fringe within the fringe. That Poor guy. Just guy. Jesus that Christ. Guy, that guy is just stupid. <laughs> oh, by the way, we, we have a caller here, my friend. Oh, okay. Let's yeah. see what our friend here on the line has to say. Caller, you are live on there. What's going on? Hey, Mike. What's up? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Uh, please forgive me. What is the name of your guest? Oh, my. Lee Austin. Oh, nice. Huh? Lee Austin, did, did you have a question for our guest I'm here? So, I'm so sorry, and I knew that all along, and I forgot. That's okay. Don't My worry. Bad. It's okay. Uh, old fart disease. Anyway, uh, hi, okay. Lee. Hello, young lady. <laughs> oh, love you for that. I hate to ask this question now. Um, do you uh, follow meteorology, the weather? Yes. Uh, <coughs> what I want to ask... Currents uh, that surround the Earth, that they're, it's spherical, and wind and weather currents do not make sharp angle turns as it would be on a non-spherical uh, round, like a flat coin. If uh, the currents, a wind gust or whatever, came from one side to the other, it would have to make a sharp dip down and back and when just well it could but it doesn't do that normally it's not its nature and i would like to get your take on that if you believe we live in an enclosed dome which i do you could almost equate it to a snowball those little snowballs you used to get when you're a kid and you shake them up and all the snow flies around I think in many ways, that is what happens with the flat Earth model, the geocentric model. And keep in mind that the sun and the moon basically make a 360-degree revolution every day, every day. How that affects the currents, I don't know. But one aspect of that that threw me off, and again, it's, it's noted in the book, I always thought the cause of seasons disproved the flat Earth. Because if the Earth is at 23 and a half degrees, then that's the reason we have seasons. When in fact, the sun in the flat Earth model just moves between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. So during the summertime, it'll move up to the Tropic of Cancer, as we well know, and then it'll move back to the Tropic of uh, Capricorn. Capricorn. I'm I'm thinking of the fake movie. (laughs) You can hear him? Were you able to hear what I I said, man? I got half of what he's saying because um, it's breaking up. I'm on a landline. Should I call in on on a cell phone, or would that help? I think you sound fine, actually. I I, I think it might just be the internet. Yeah, I on my side. Fine. Yeah. It just yeah, it's probably on my side. Don't worry. Can you hear me okay well, now, ma'am? <laughs> yes. 
If it's a flat earth, that would explain it, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Hit those angles, Dagnabbit. (laughs) Well, that's another aspect of the flat earth, which is cell towers. That's another. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I don't don't believe that it's satellites. Now, there are some in the community, the flat earth community, that don't believe in satellites at all. But I do. Yes, but, but you but do. the difference is it's a, it's a low Earth orbit, what they call an LHO versus a high Earth orbit, which is an HEO. Right now, the International Space Station flies at 1,200 miles above the Earth. But in fact, the cell towers do not communicate with satellites, that, with that they actually the, communicate to the, each other. Uh, shell of the dome. If you're talking about a, a dome, the dome would be a shell around the Earth, correct? It's actually translucent. It's translucent. Now, this is where, if you don't want to dial into what I'm about to say, I completely understand because I have a hard time believing what I'm about to say. I do, but when the words come out of my mouth, they sound insane. According to the Book of Enoch, we live under an ocean that, in fact, above us is a greater ocean than any earthly ocean. And there are, in fact, 10 different heavens, not three. So we live in the first dimension, uh, we live in the third dimension, the first heaven, and then above us, above the dome, is the fourth dimension, and then there's a fifth dimension, and there's actually ten different heavens. What we've okay. been taught, well, I understand and even in Bible study, is wrong. Not all oceans are H2O, either uh, saline or not. When Enoch was or taken up, do, when Enoch, do I sound like a wacko job, or do you no, understand what I No, 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 you're talking to said. a wacko job. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all you got for us uh, tonight, Star? Wait, now you sound broken up. No, okay, I'm, uh, I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Thanks for calling in. Okay, right, bye-bye. Care. Yes, we were having lots of a static on her line there. I'm not sure where she was exactly calling from, but lots of static there. She sounded okay to me. Uh, Tailing on that, when Enoch was taken up to the dome and he looked down at Earth, he said he saw a greater ocean above the dome and that he saw the ether, which I find fascinating because I think Tesla was onto it when he talked about the fact that everything has to do with vibrations, that all physical objects in the world and in the universe respond to corresponding vibrations that, in fact, we are the result of vibrations. And that that ether in the um, second heaven of the fourth dimension can actually be tapped into for unlimited energy. And so many of the things that Tesla postulated over 100 years ago, I think was right on. And and they thought he was insane, although they did name a car company after him. (laughs) That's true. And speaking of which... Elon Musk, many flat earthers out there, conspiracy theorists alike, they did not believe that footage of the Tesla Roadster being launched into the heavens. It reminded me of the Red Bull drop, the guy. I love that, uh, by the way, that Red Bull footage. Yeah, the guy who jumped out, uh, what, at 120,000 feet or whatever, how many miles up, but the curvature of the earth was so exaggerated in the book. Morningstar's Tale. By the way, if you go to the website morningstarstale.com, I have the first chapter on the homepage, and it and it talks about the fact that it's the fisheye lens 
that actually leads to the deception. When you see the International Space Station tooling around the Earth, allegedly, it certainly looks like the Earth has curvature, when in fact that's the result of a fisheye lens. And that's how they're able to propagate this fiction, because they own space. And so naturally, they hook up all the cameras with these fisheye lens, and that gives the illusion of curvature. And, of course, going back to satellites really quickly here, you believe in them, but others, they don't. And they give more credit to the submarine communications cable that we have. They say that is actually what's more responsible. I do, too. I, I, I don't know a lot. I know just enough to be dangerous. But I do believe that cell phones, for the most part, are land-based. And as far as satellites being 23,000 miles high, that's impossible with the flat earth model because about 3,500 miles high is the dome. And so those satellites would be in the ocean, the greater ocean. And the other question is, with all these satellites spinning around the earth, it's amazing none of them ever collide. And, and that's that another back, thing. Well, they, yeah. some say they do, but you would imagine that we would see a lot more of them uh, crashing into someone's home for for an let's for an example there, and that doesn't really happen. It doesn't happen because I think for the most part it, it's an illusion. Think about this: we've been told that we're spinning right now at the equator, at least real at about fast, nine hundred and forty to a thousand miles an hour. Right now, for example, take out all of that evidence or belief, and just go outside in your yard, and unless you're in Louisiana experiencing Hurricane Barry, it sure doesn't feel like you're going a thousand miles an hour. And at the same time, you're allegedly doing a thousand miles an hour. This planet is moving at 66,000 miles an hour. So imagine that we're on a ball spinning at a thousand miles an hour and simultaneously going 66,000 miles around the sun, <clears throat> 66,000 miles per hour and that the universe, the Milky Way, is expanding at over a million miles an hour. I just don't have enough faith to believe in that. I'm with you on that. There's some weird things to consider. And by the way, I think someone, uh, oh, it's Gang of Four in the chat room wanting me to ask you what the dome is made of. In the book of Job, it talks about molten glass, a hardened glass. And I wrote an article for uh, before its news a couple of weeks ago, and it talks about a, a, uh, what is known as Libyan molten glass. And apparently they have chunks of this. And according to the book of Job, the dome is made of a molten, translucent, hardened substance that you can see through, but is hard enough to hold back the other ocean, the greater ocean. And that leads into the fact that when you look at the sun and the moon, neither one blinks. There's no blinking involved. We can just see them for what they are. That's because they're under the dome. They're in this third dimension of the first heaven. However, the stars and luminaries, and, and again, the planets, all seem to blink. And the reason I believe they blink when you look through a telescope is because they're actually reflecting through that ocean and then through that hardened translucent dome. So when we're on Earth looking up through the translucent dome, 
and we're looking at the luminaries, they blink because they're actually reflecting their light through that ocean and then through that lens, and we're viewing it from an earthly perspective. But the sun and the moon don't have that quality because they're under the dome and not affected by the dome or the ocean. Incredible. And when was it exactly that you first came to understand and realize that there was actually this theory that the earth was flat? What sucked you in as well? I have no idea. You don't recall the first time you heard someone saying the earth is flat or perhaps reading it in a book? No. Nothing of that nature. I was doing I was doing the show, Outcast Radio. I was doing it on uh, Republic Broadcasting Network. And I was covering the Nephilim and you know some of the weirder UFO topics. And I don't recall how it happened, but one day... I just started talking about it, and I and I and I I can remember being on the radio and saying thirty percent out the gate. I was like maybe thirty percent, I believe, but seventy percent, no freaking way. And over a period of six months, I got up to about forty, forty-five, and it took about a year. And and I finally announced on the radio on fifty-one fifty flat, <laughs> right? And it it was weird because I, I don't recall ever hearing about it, all I recall is one day beginning to talk about it. And I guess what really intrigued me, Michael, more than any topic I've ever brought up was the reaction. And when people really reacted violently, that is verbally. Violently? Well, I mean verbally. Oh, I violent, see. Like, you're yeah. an idiot, drop dead, go to hell, that kind of stuff. Oh, I hear. Verbal, yeah. verbal violence. The more that I got resistance, the more I began to dig and investigate on my own. So like every other person, I got on YouTube, started watching videos. I read the book of Enoch. I read the uh, secrets of the book of Enoch. I read the book of Jasher. I reread the Bible. And then I picked up a lot of occultic literature. And interestingly enough, a lot of the occultic literature lined up with the flat earth model. And all societies, you know, even 500 years ago, believed the earth was flat. The Egyptians, the Sumerians, as you mentioned— Many of the Babylonians, many ancient societies knew that the earth was flat. And the more I began to investigate, the more I began to realize either I'm going to get on the radio and stick with this or what's the point? I mean, I thought the whole idea of conspiracy radio was to find the truth. And it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the flat earth faction within a faction. I'm, I'm just looking for the truth. What is the truth? If the earth is round and you can prove it to me, I'll accept. But for now, I'm a believer that it's flat because all of the physical evidence is pointing in that direction. Yeah, you're all in. I'm all in. You, It's going to take a lot to convince you. Part of the problem is I live on the coast. I live on the east coast of uh, Florida, and I'm only about 50 miles from Cape Canaveral. So I, I watch the rocket launches. And if you go to my website, morningstarstail.com, I just uploaded a picture from the beach. And damn it, every time I go down there, it's confirmation that it's flat. I just look out and I think to myself, it's flat. Everything is pointing towards it being flat. And I've got the uh, Pythagorean theory. I've got all the charts in the book. I, I've got all of the empirical scientific evidence in the book. But in my heart of hearts, you know, they talk about faith being that uh, substance you can't see belief in what you can't see, knowing it's real, even though you can't prove it. I'm at that point. I honestly believe that the earth 
is flat. I just feel it in my gut. I feel it in my spirit. And the book confirms it. And the further I go down the rabbit hole and the more resistance I get, the more steadfast I, I become because I, I believe it is the greatest conspiracy theory of all time that we have been lied to about where we live. And I believe the reason that they hide it. Yeah. What, I would, and what if the earth was flat and what, what would be the reason behind them suppressing the reality? Here's a few things that would happen. Let's say one day you wake up and it's a given all over the news that the earth is flat. First thing that happens is the stock market crashes. Martial law is declared. Mass suicides and mass conversions. People can't handle it. There's a great scene in uh, Men in Black between uh, Will Smith and the old guy. And, you know, he was talking about the fact that 500 years ago, everybody believed the earth was flat. The one thing that's going to happen is if it is proven, people are going to say, okay, this is not arbitrary. We're not on a ball spinning nowhere. There's no point to life. Somebody built this place. Who built it? Why did they build it? And why am I here? And I must be pretty damn important if the entire universe is centered around this place. And I believe that's what this is. The geocentric theory says that everything revolves around this flat earth. This is ground zero in the center of the universe. And if that's the case, then somebody built this place. Who built it? And why have you been lying to us? Because maybe you're no longer the gods and that there is a God or there is a creator or somebody built this place, but who did it? Why and why am I here? And obviously I must be pretty damn important. It would definitely shake up the foundation of everything, no doubt. And that's why it's the greatest conspiracy theory. And that's why NASA owns space. Think about it. No one goes up there. It, it's a, it's unusual that we don't get any sort of photographs of satellites in space or anything like that. It's like your wife says to you, and, and again, I'm not using you as an example. I don't have a wife, wife, just just uh, stray oh. cats. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be hard <laughs> to prove that. We'll take you out of the equation. We'll take me out of the equation because I'm single too. A married guy comes home and uh, his wife says, I I'm going to go out tonight. And he goes, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going knitting. Well, she goes out and has an affair. She comes home and he says, well, where were you? And she goes, knitting. Next night, he goes, where are you going? Uh, I'm going out knitting. And she doesn't come home all night, and she comes home in the morning, and she's she's all disheveled, and where were you? Uh, knitting. You know, after a while, the lies pile up and lead to the conclusion that you're not being truthful. When NASA says, we can't go back to the moon because all of the telemetry was destroyed, all of the data was destroyed, 50 years ago, this is this is unprecedented that technology has moved backwards for this one particular event. And I believe the reason they don't go back and fake it is because now everyone has access to information. Back in 1969, you had ABC, NBC, and CBS. You got your news from one of those three networks. And what they said was God. Walter Cronkite was the God. He was worshipped. Now, he was worshipped. You can't do that anymore. If they stage another fake landing, everyone's going to take it apart because everyone has the technology to do that. So they can't fake it any longer. You can only fake it for so long, and that's why they don't go back to the soundstage because they know there'll be such scrutiny that if they make one small sliver of a mistake, 
they'll be found out for the fraud they are. And by the way, I do have another vital question to ask you. It's a little bit off topic here, but it is important nonetheless. And I wanted to ask you, are you a alpha male or a beta male? Alpha. Alpha, straight out alpha, right? Straight out caveman. I love that. I love that you did not even hesitate for a second there. Uh, I did not think you were a, a beta male whatsoever. I knew you were alpha right away. Well, I get the impression you're alpha too, Michael. Amazing. That that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's been an issue for plenty of beta males. It's one of the reasons I'm single. I I've been married twice, twenty years and ten years, and I've been single now for twelve years and, and I just don't want to do the disservice to any woman and get involved with her. It was so funny at the gym about two weeks ago, this woman comes up to me and she begins instructing me on how to date again because I told her I hadn't been in the dating scene for five years. And she starts saying, okay, now you have to listen to them. You have to keep the conversation light. And I just start laughing and I'm really uncomfortable because I'm thinking I'm probably going to start talking about the moon landing oh, no. 10 minutes into our meeting. <laughs> I can't. I can't do that. That guy is dead. Alan Alda is dead. But if you want to talk about the earth being flat, the fake moon landing, chemtrails, the Nephilim. Uh, you should have gone with you should have gone with the uh, Kardashian bit. The Kardashian? How would I do that? Well, you could have just brought up the NBA or the Kardashian sleeping with a player and their career ending right away. You know, one of those bits. I can't do it. It would have worked. I, you know, when and, and when I see what I'm going <laughs> to. Yes. <laughs> By the way, welcome to the misogynistic portion of our broadcast. When I see what's available right now. This locker room talk yet again. How, I, how I dare you? I can't do it. I've been married twice. If I find a woman, more than likely she's been married twice. That's four marriages. Why is five a charm? Wow. That many times. Think about it. If I've been married twice and I meet a woman who's been married twice, between the two of us, we've already got four marriages going into it. If we were to get married, that would be the fifth marriage. At what point do you conflict. just say, you know, I like being single? Yeah, single sometimes is, is a lot better. How would I explain this to my girlfriend? Yeah, it's uh, 120 here on the East Coast, and I'm talking with Michael about the dome. The dome, uh, the flat earth. The Nephilim, <laughs> and uh, how we can't find a girlfriend, but we're not really looking for a girlfriend. We're a couple, a couple of uh, misfit alpha males. Yeah, that, that's not going to work too well over there. No. Not no. at all. You might have some problems there. And, and I work uh, at a job as a logistics coordinator with uh, predominantly uh, female oh, cast no. of employees. And so I oh, spend no. most of my day quiet, like Milton of office space, just mumbling and watching the squirrels. That's probably the best for you, man, especially in that sort of climate, especially today. Holy crap. Holy crap is right. You better not say a word. I don't know what to say to women anymore what is that environment like anymore uh, or what what is that environment like now i should say i mean i i imagine you can't even open it, the door for women now it it run it runs on emojis it, it, we live in a world now especially in america where everything runs on emotion you're only as good as the last five minutes you know I'm you might get a smiley you. face at 10 o'clock at 10 05 you're getting a frowny face because you screwed up whatever Nothing has a sense of permanence. Everything has a temporal, emotional feel. And I just, I, I have never felt. I could feel it like now. More of an outcast. I, yeah, I've never I, could, I feel it now. I, I feel like yeah. they give you dirty looks now. That's what I'm feeling right now. I get the impression no one's having sex anymore. Because if I was a millennial male, 
I would have to retain an attorney and have that attorney come with us on our first date just to make sure uh, I don't get sued before the second date. Oof. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad right now. And that's one thing that lots of the older the older generations out there and online, they call them boomers. I know the, the online listeners will love that. And but yes, the boomers, they talk about starting a family, finding the right woman and this and that. But the reality is they're not on the dating scene per se, quote unquote, the dating scene. And nowadays you have women that have 20 different social media accounts, 20 different emails, and the, the list goes on. It's very hard to find a woman that you could settle down with and do all those things with. Most of the people now, that sort of marriage is, is an old sort of concept. I actually have the perfect woman in mind, and I can sum her up in two words. Blind Amish. That's a pretty good combination. Not going to complain there. Think about it. Here's the difference between men and women. Men will settle. Woman will pursue a man, and eventually the man will go, okay. And his idea is, this is the woman I'm going to marry for life. The problem with this American culture we live in right now, as you just aptly stated, they have all these social media accounts. And so women, American women especially, will always be looking for other grass. The grass is green around the other side. They got their guy, but you know what? Maybe I should have got that model or that model. And then you have a fight with your significant other. And then they're on Facebook talking to a high school sweetheart. Oh, that's how it goes. And of course, the, the married women definitely sleeping around. I think, and I have no evidence to prove this, but I would say probably majority. There's, more, there's more whoring going on with women than men more, for the first time. Oh, definitely, first time. especially today. Yeah. It's catered for them for that yeah. sole purpose. And it's catered for their emotions when you have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, it's all there. And it's so much temptation. A hundred years ago... There was none of this constant temptation and dumbing down. When your goal in life is to be a Kardashian, who in the hell wants to get together with that train wreck? Yeah, I mean, that's why That's why I said if if, if you would have pro probably brought up that bit around the office, some of the, the women would want to talk to you. It's funny because... But then it gets dangerous, the, though. Most of the women in the office are younger, young enough to be or younger than my daughter oh no be careful extra yeah yeah and every once in a while oh yeah i'll i'll kind of go off on a tangent on the way it used to be i'll say something like you know back in the 70s and 80s it was great being a salesman because you could disappear all day and then your boss says where were you and you could say i was out making sales calls here we live in a digital dictatorship where you've got to get on chat just to take a piss that's the place true. I work at, I have to get on a group chat and let everyone know that I'm getting up from my desk. Are you serious? I'm only working three days a week there. It's that I've severe. Kind of, I'm kind of semi-retired. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I was shocked when I took the job because millennials have no concept of the freedom that they used to have in this country that you and I lived through. And now they just give it all away. They don't care. I, I literally see people on the group chat at work going, I'll be back uh, in five minutes. I have a potty break. I know when people are pissing now. I never knew that when I was growing up. Good now Lord. I have access to that stupid information. I didn't know that that even existed in, in the office anymore. Oh, it does. And we're also keystroked. You know what that is? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I have that on your computer. Every, every, 
not only are we keystroke, but every time we email, it's timed. I'll pull up an email, open it up, and a timer goes off. That's what a lot of parents have been doing uh, with their children's uh, social media accounts. And that's one of the things that I did want to talk to you about. Uh, it's it's a little off topic here, but more more what's current in the news. Usually I do that sort of thing at the end of the show when I'm taking it home. But, you know, I have you on here and you are definitely in tune with a lot of these things. A lot of fun stuff, really. And we're, we're seeing these sort of challenges online uh, set out uh, by uh, multiple social media platforms. Kids, adults, they're all getting involved. They all want to lick ice cream now and upload it on Instagram and get some sort of online cred now. It's all about hits. I was at Barnes & Noble before you know we started this broadcast. I'm watching this woman walk around talking to whoever she's talking to. And she's showing this individual all of the Harry Potter goods they can buy at Barnes & Noble. And I'm thinking, boy, there's one woman I don't want to be near. I, I just can't take it. All of this self-absorption. And, and I find myself being hooked on these phones just like everybody else. We're but addicted. Let's be honest. But that's, you know, everyone is going to be addicted to their phones, but... It it really matters what you're doing behind it, though, in my opinion. Bill Burr, you know the comedian Bill Burr? Yes, I do. He had a great bit. He Billy said, Burr. Know, 100, he, Billy Boy. He, about 100 years ago, uh, when someone had their photo taken, they didn't know it was a camera. And so they would be like, ah! and in, in every photo from 100 years ago, the person being photographed isn't smiling. They're in shock. But it's one photograph. Now it's like 20 years from now. My uh, daughter will go, you want to see 100,000 pictures of my grandson? That's where we're at. There is so much content, and most of it is crap. And that's the problem with a lot of radio, television, and even a lot of podcasts. There's so much content, but there's so much crap, and there's so little substance that when you do run across any meat, you tend to devour it because it's almost like you're on a fast most of the time. Oh, yes. And of course, online dating. I have to bring that up. Uh, no doubt. You have Tinder, you have Grinder, which Vic, something in the chat room, happily typed in there. And yeah, we, we have all these tools out there. And a lot of these tools, some good, some bad, some even end up in murder. Just ask that individual out there in San Diego who killed a few Christians over on that website, ChristianMingle.com. Why somebody would get on a Christian website. Amazing. For dating and think it's any different than any worldly website. Everybody hides behind their screen and says the most awful stuff. Everyone hides behind a screen. The, no the, one internet, is accountable. the internet has given us uh, some sort of autism, Lee, in my opinion. We have become narcissistic and a slight dose of uh, autism. I agree. We, as a unit do not communicate as well as we used we don't, to. don't, not, not at all. <laughs> and, and again, I get back to my job. I mean, I'll have somebody literally sitting next to me and they'll be chatting me about a ticket. And I just turn around and I go, I'm two feet away from you. Can't you just talk to me? Oh my God. And they won't because they're afraid. They hide behind the technology and create an illusion and a life that doesn't exist. They create a Facebook page and a wonderful life that is pure fiction. That's and insane. This, tech, this, tech, this technology is, you know, they talk about fake news. It's all fake. 
unless you're really one-on-one talking with someone, the great thing about these podcasts, because they go a couple hours, it's very hard to fake it when you're talking for two hours straight. People will get an idea of what kind of person you are after two hours. But if you can sum up your opinion in 140 characters or less, you can hide behind that for quite a while. Oh, yes. And that brings me to another individual out there who has gained so much notoriety. There is this girl by the name of Belle Delphine. She's this gamer who was selling her bathwater. You heard me correct. I'm not joking. I've heard of that. I'm not joking. Her name is Belle Delphine, and she's 19 years old. She's a cosplayer with over 4.2 million Instagram followers and over 4,000 Patreons on Patreon there. And she's been selling a what's called a gamer girl bathwater for all the thirsty gamer boys out there. From the people who brought you the pet rock. Can you believe it? It started off as a joke, and then it actually happened. We live in an incredibly times. frivolous, frivolous. Think about the debt we have. I can't believe it. Th- th- that's insane. She actually sold her bath water, and now she's making so much money. It's pretty insane times we live in, boys and girls. The future is here. Speaking of the Kardashians, I think it's uh, Jenner is the first billionaire teenager. The the younger one, forgetting. Yeah, I don't know which one it is. Uh, I'm. I'm, There's about thirty of them. Kylie, I have no idea. I have to look that up. I already forgot these girls' names, but they were a lot more. I I shouldn't say that. I was going to say they were a lot more popular, but they've always been popular for the last ten years or so. Kylie. That's what the chat room just said. Kylie. Okay. Yeah. And again, an, an example Kylie of Jenner. someone who was famous just for being on television. You know, I, I forget who said it, but it was about 20 years ago. Somebody said, might've been Johnny Carson. Somebody said, if you take a grapefruit and you put it on a, on a, on a stand, on a, on a stool, and you put a camera in front of it and show it on national television. It was Kendall Jenner, actually. Kendall Jenner. There we go. Okay. So she's the billionaire. She, I believe so. So I think it was Carson that said, if you put a grapefruit on a stool and you put it on television, national television, every night for a week, and you just show the grapefruit and nothing else for an hour, eventually a couple will walk into a grocery store, into the produce section. The guy will elbow the wife and go, hey, look, there's the grapefruit we saw on TV. My goodness. (laughs) It's just like a network in in the movie Network. Where Howard Beale goes, why me? Why do I want to deliver? Why should I deliver this message? Right. And the the head of the network says, because you're on television, dummy. That's a great point, though. If you're on television, it's got to be important. Right. You got to have your 15 minutes. I agree with you. And also, there's another bit of news going on as well that's made its way online. That's the Area 51 raid that I'm sure you are well aware of now. I read something about some citizens wanting to just thousands knock over the barricade and find ET. Yeah, they want to go out there and storm the the front per se, but that's extremely dangerous and extremely foolish. They won't make it that far. I was watching that interview with Bob Lazar a couple ah, of weeks ago, okay. mm-hmm. and uh, basically he came to the conclusion that I've come to, which is that it's a merging of uh alien technology and military technology do you are you familiar with bob lazar i sure am 
Now, I don't exactly believe everything that he's said, but there are some things that I, I can't exactly deny either in his in his story. And he's been telling the same story for forever now. What what parts of it do you believe? Well, I, be, I do believe what he's talking about in terms of element 115. And I have seen uh, that car of his. I think he's even shown a video of it. Oh, the rocket car? I No, I think he has a Corvette that he modified himself. And he put a jet engine in it. I think he did. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, there it is. It's the hydrogen-powered one. Yeah, the hydrogen Corvette, for those that want to look that up. And I guess that got him an audience with uh, the Tellerman, the uh, father of the atomic bomb. Or... I should be pulling up articles while I'm talking to you, but I'm doing all of this off the top of my head. But That's okay. He, he talked about uh, anti-gravity. Anti-gravity, when, right. And when you see these uh, UFOs, the way they move in the sky and they defy physics, apparently there is this plasma ball that retracts or repels anything that gets near it. And that is the source for these um, uh, spaceships to be able to defy physics. Now, where did they get the technology from? What's interesting is Lazar doesn't seem to be interested in the beings. He's just interested in the technology. The technology. Which I thought is really strange you, because yeah, you I, know, would be I would be interested in who built it, not yeah, the actual item itself. That's, you know what? It's, it's incredible that you did say that because that's something I was going to mention to you that I found slightly unusual. And you're the only other person I've I've heard say that anywhere else. And that's one thing I, I always had in mind. And just when I was about to say, but there's one thing I find unusual about Bob Lazar. And you just said it right there. It's pretty crazy that you, you went right at it. It just really knocked me off balance when he exactly. said that. Because I thought, wouldn't you want to know, you know, and again, it gets back to the flat earth. If the earth is flat, I don't really care so much about the earth being flat. I want to meet the person, God who built it, and I want to sit down with him and say, how did you do this, as opposed to being obsessed with the actual creation? Exactly. I, I would Good want point. to know who the creator is, and I would like to find out who these aliens are. And where they came, is, yeah, who are they, where they came from, what's their perception in time and and on us? Are they responsible for us? Are we them in the future? There's so much more, and he's just talking about the tech. It's just weird. It's almost as if he compartmentalizes it, as if there's been some sort of trauma. Perhaps he, in fact, had an encounter with some of the builders of this technology and has just sort of compartmentalized that and pushed it off to the side because he's thinking, well, the technology is certainly worth overcoming this experience. I just get the impression that he did have an encounter with one of these beings, and maybe that traumatized him to have that view, which just doesn't make sense. It's very unusual, that's for sure, that Bob Lazar, and my goodness, hopefully we'll find out what goes on with the folks at Area 51 once that does go down. Hopefully nothing too bad goes down. Hopefully no one dies. And I have a very dark theory. Go ahead. <laughs> go for it. I love that. Dark okay. theories. I believe, you know, we talk about the Nephilim uh, as it was in the days of Noah. Nephilim the result of angels having sex with women. I believe Word. that they're here in different forms. I believe in the shapeshifters. I don't know exactly what all of it is, but I do believe there's been an exchange between these interdimensional beings and our military 
and other militaries of other countries around the world. And the exchange is this. You pledge your allegiance to us, and we will give you technology well beyond this period of time. And Lazar made the great analogy of if you were to take a motorcycle and time travel it back into the 1900s, eventually people would be able to figure out how to start it and ride it, but they couldn't build a fender. And that makes sense. And I think in many ways, what we're seeing is these, what I believe to be interdimensional beings giving technology to the military, creating these ships. And I think part of the exchanges, and here's the dark part, is that they will help propagate disclosure, the eventual revelation that there is no God per se, that there are engineers who created us, and they're here to enlighten us and to extend our lives through transhumanism and the chip, and the chip will lead to eternal life. That's a great point, and I wish I could add on to that, but we definitely are running out of time here. So I did want to go on to our next bit, and it brings us back to some very, very dark matters, my friend. Jeffrey Epstein, what is your take on the latest development on Mr. Jeffrey Epstein? And, you know, he's a figure that I've been talking about for such a long time, for many, many years, my friend. Many, many moons ago, I've been talking about this figure for a very long time. Even before I did this program, I knew about Jeffrey Epstein. And anytime I mentioned his name to either conservatives, Republicans, or the Democrats, any of these individuals, any people even that I know in person, uh, even even people that I know uh, for, for a long time, that name... They never wanted to talk about him for whatever reason. The question that seems to be coming up, at least in the last few days, is where did he get his money? That's Does he right. have as much money as he allegedly had? Also, there's a guy named uh, Henry Maycow. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a website called Save the Mails. Yes. He talks about the possibility of Epstein being a Mossad agent. Right. That's what and, they're saying. And in fact, that's part of the cover for all of this. But... One of the reasons that he hasn't faced uh, any prosecution until now is it is believed that he has so many videos, photos, and evidence of people in high places right. who have been in compromising positions. They're afraid that if they uh, prosecute him, that he'll just divulge all of that information. So there's another school of thought that he will be accidentally uh, suicided uh, relatively soon. I don't know That's, what's going to happen, but definitely he does have the goods on a lot of high-ranking people, and perhaps there are ties to Mossad, perhaps, because someone who was questioned about him said, that's above my pay grade. There's that. Where did he get all of the money? Who funded him? He was, he was a, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but he, I think he worked for uh, Morgan Stanley in the 80s, and then he started his own hedge fund, but allegedly he only had a couple of... Uh, high roller customers and somehow the numbers are not adding up and then others are saying well he achieved a lot of his wealth via blackmail and and, and essentially that's what he does best who knows who knows but it's a very dark thing especially what was going on out there and uh, go ahead sorry well i was going to say you know he had that he has that island and yeah, that the private island and, and some people are saying that temple was used for various uh satanic type ceremonies it is, it is creepy seen, though if you've seen photos of it you seem to know a lot more about this than me what is your take on it i don't know i'm stunned i i'm 
perplexed by it all still. And that's one of the things that I always mentioned here on the program. And a lot of people don't like it. But I said one of the issues I've always had with Trump was his association throughout all the years with this character. And we don't know exactly what he knows and or what he doesn't know. And Bill Clinton, too, don't. You know, don't let don't think I'm against just one person. I'm against all of these people, to be completely honest with you. These people are compromised and they have been for a long, long time. Allegedly, Clinton took 26 uh, trips on low on the uh, Lolita Express. I could believe it. Yeah. And Trump was quoted, I think, back in 2002. uh, I'm paraphrasing, but. Jeffrey Epstein's a friend of mine. Of course, he likes women like I do, and he likes them young. On the younger side, yeah. Mm -hmm. On the younger side. But, you know, then you look back on Trump's uh, tendency to to look for that type of uh, person. And I'm not saying younger, but obviously he goes for the supermodels. But I just get the impression he has a lot of dirt and evidence. He might. A lot of people. And and I think they're kind of – they don't know what to do with them. This is interesting, though. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, he might just start start dropping dimes, as they say. Yeah, and Acosta, the uh, uh, yeah. now or was acting was Secretary of Labor, resigned, resigned yeah. yesterday because apparently he was the one who cut him the 13-month sweetheart deal where he could leave the jail during the day. But his uh, logic was that uh, he, otherwise he wasn't going to go to jail at all. The, the state DA didn't want to prosecute, but it, none of it makes any sense. I think what it is, is it's money. If you have that kind of crazy money, you make your own rules. And Trump is a great example of it. I mean, think about this. Cohen is in jail. Cohen facilitated the payment of those women that Trump accomplished his misdeeds with, allegedly. And yet Cohen's in jail. And because of executive privilege, there you go. It just shows you that there's two different systems, one for the rich and one for the poor. I agree with you on that one. It, it all seems very shady. On both sides. And like you said. Very shady. Republican and Democrat. I think they're all dirty. I think so too, man. I've been saying that here on the program for a long time, and that really pisses a lot of people off. But I'm a straight shooter. What can I say? I will go after everyone. And I've been doing so since um, prior to 9-11. And of course, that was uh, another piece of fiction. Yeah, I'm a libertarian. I don't like anybody. I'm about, a, yeah, I'm a libertarian. So I purposely have to go after everyone. That's just in my nature. You know, I was, I was affiliated with the Green Party, per se. That was the choice for me. But, you know, given what went on with Ralph Nader, you know, I had to distance myself from all that noise, too. What was interesting about Nat, uh, Nader is that his niece was on one of those Boeing planes that crashed. I mean, talk about weird. And, and, it gets so strange. It's it's all bizarre. That's one, you know, for the longest time I wanted to get involved in politics and I even helped out of friends. Uh, well, I hope no one's listening to this, that I know on a personal level, but uh, my friend's grandfather, he, uh, let's just say he did something here where I'm at and I helped a little bit. Of, uh, I helped him out. Let's just say, even being that young, I, 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 I helped them. Let's, I'll leave it at that. Uh, but even then on, on a small level, I realized th- there's nothing pure in any of this. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. It, it's just, all of this is just, it, it feels greasy. It was just, Dennis I didn't Miller like had it. The, had the best line. I think this sums it up. Dennis Miller said, Washington is Hollywood for ugly people. That's a great line. He's, he's right about that. Yeah, that's all it is. It's all ego. 
It really is. It really is. It's so narcissistic. Yeah. I think anybody that that wants to be president should automatically be disqualified. What an ego on you if you want to be the president. Yeah. Something's got to be wrong with you. Well, I think the whole thing with Trump is that I don't think he ever wanted to be president. He just wanted to self-aggrandize well, going, himself. Yeah, going and back. Brand. He, wanted, he wanted to build his brand. Yeah. The night of the election, Melania and even Pence's wife, I think, were crying because they didn't want him to win. You know, they, ta- he, just, he, he just liked the attention. Tagging back to that about Trump not wanting to be the president, you know, going back and listening to his interviews with Howard Stern, that's something that Howard Stern said. And, you know, he's talked to him a lot on a personal level as well. He's known him for years. And that's the perception that he got as well, that he didn't want to be the president. And to be no, honest no. with you, he's he hasn't done uh, that bad of a job. I mean, I do have to give him some credit. I can't say he's the worst president we've had. He's done wh- what he has to do, to, to be honest with you. And, of course, I do acknowledge that not one man is, should be responsible for everything because that's just not the reality. Uh, the president... Any president isn't really going to be personally responsible for something, no matter how hard you see or hear it or as much as you want to believe it or you see it on paper. That's not the way it works. That's not the reality, my friends. I think this is the first time we've had a president who cannot articulate a message. And we as Americans are not used to that. You know, whether you liked Obama, you have to admit he was articulate and had class, I, I think. I mean, as far as his, the way he presented himself. And then he can go back to Bush and go, well, yeah, he's missing a little bit. But, you know, this is a this is a first where somebody gets on Twitter just this morning and is talking about his golf courses while there's a hurricane going on in Louisiana. There's, a, there's obviously a disconnect somewhere. Terry Cloth is not approving your message in the chat room. Terry Cloth. Very soft. He's saying, are you serious? Trump can't articulate a message. Trump won by staying on message and being outspent 100 to 1. That's what he said right now. Well, it was a bumper sticker. Make America great again. And look who he's running against. Hillary. She's pretty weak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's, doesn't really, you know. Hillary again, is I, awful. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. I feel it's going down the slippery political slope. That's okay. I, I, I'm not a fan of Trump. I'm not a fan of Hillary. I'm not a fan of politics. Sure. Uh, I just, you know, it, it, the problem I have is that Trump has stolen the Internet. It's Every fun to see get, the circus, though, right? Yeah, I get on the Internet in the morning, and it's like there's always a story about him. Is there something about break, everyone? Take a break for one day. Yes, it's it's amazing, really. It's it's fun, though, to talk about and to speculate what's going to happen next. It's People get too sucked into it, though. I, personally, I think that's how a lot of individuals have gone the past uh, two, three years now. Some people completely emerged into that world. They get very emotional. I just go back to Trump firing the guy at NASA the other day because they're moving too slow on getting back to the moon when they've never been to the moon in, in the, the first, first place. place. Yes. And, and, and <laughs> that's what I find to be hilarious, that he, he is that one-dimensional. I would think as president of the United States, you would probably have been told at some point that, you know, that that occurred on a soundstage and it's all fake. But who knows? Uh, I just thought it was hilarious that he fired a guy for not doing something that was never done in the first place. Incredible, really. And Lee, we are definitely near out of time here, but I do want to leave you with the final word. Go ahead 
and plug anything you'd like, my friend. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Well, the book is called Morning Star's Tale, and it is about 80 pages long. In it, uh, Lucifer explains why the earth is flat, the Nephilim, Freemasonry, numerology, alchemy. Uh, he goes into a lot of esoteric subjects. The reason I wrote it from the point of view of Lucifer was I thought it would free me up to tell the listener, or in this case, the reader, exactly what I think the universe looks like. And again, it's a, an amalgamation of the Book of Enoch, the Bible, occultic books all wrapped up into one and 30 years of radio experience. The book is Morningstar's Tale. You can pick it up. Uh, go to my website, morningstarstale.com. It's available at Amazon, uh, walmart.com, and barnesandnoble.com. Amazing. Thank you for being here. Did you have fun? I had a great time, and I always do. Uh, me too. Uh, that was fun. I, I had a great time talking to you about all these things. It's always nice to have you here on the show. I appreciate it. It's nice to talk about relationships, flat earth, I love it. and non-moon landings. I love it, my friend. I'm, I'm into it. I, I love talking to all of the, about all these things. It's, it all ties together. It does. In a weird way. And, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and if the earth is not flat, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But my advice to the listener, do your homework, figure it out for yourself. I love that. That's a great bit of truth there to speak. Lee, it's been incredible yet again. I hope you sleep well tonight, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. Have a great evening, Michael. Thank you for letting me on the show. No problem, my friend. Mahalo. Good night. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was Mr. Lee Austin. Love him. Great guest. Great energy. He's so much fun to talk to, ladies and gentlemen. Love doing that. We definitely have to bring him back yet again uh, to get deeper into this. And uh, yes. I'm seeing you in the chat room, all of you out there, and I do appreciate you boys and girls out there hanging in with me. And of course, as we take it home here tonight, I want to thank Mr. Joshua Free and of course, the man you just heard, Lee Austin, and of course, all of you out there in the chat room and those who will listen on Sunday. Much respect to all of you out there. And of course, you can find this program later on on iTunes and other podcast platforms, whatever you like out there, whatever popular platform you like out there, this program is on there. Go ahead and search End of Days or Michael Deacon. Most likely you'll find it. And of course, you can find me on a Twitter at Michael Deacon. Send me a message there and I'll do my best to respond to all of you out there. And yeah iTunes is not liked very much. Yeah, Terry Cloth, you're right. Spotify, it's on there. If you like Spotify, definitely use that. And of course, I would love to thank the Fringe FM and Deprogrammed Radio. Lots of listeners out there in the UK. Love that. And of course, Guten Morgen to my German listeners out there next week. I will return yet again. Oh, yes. It's going to be a great time. And if you like the program, please go to michaeldeacon.com and uh, donate right-hand side of the page. Hit the PayPal button or become a 